welcome to episode 125 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We're using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we start our look at June 1989 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 50 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles and albums chart that month. Graham, the games are getting scarce, but are they getting better? Informers. In this diggy loo diggy lay of an episode where we explore the private and disturbing somnambulism of soft drink addicts, we stumble our way through another arcade conversion calamity, this time in the rotationally obtuse Forgotten Worlds, head to the Windy Apple, or is it Sink City, for a game of winner takes nothing in the dull Las Vegas casino, and grab our combat pants, hobnail boots, and green t shirts for another frantic waggle based run and jump in Para Assault Course. Ah, uh, seems that sleepwalking and indeed sleep singing is a key symptom of carbonated liquid dependence. Who would have thought that? While we lower the sugary dose, we head to the skies and the ground as we take our grey battle vehicles into the grey world of grey base relief for some grey on grey action in the very grey Xenon. Get a bunch of weird, nearly brand 80s musicians and singers to form bands and go on high-res and dreary tours and gigs in Rockstar Ate My Hamster before finally popping in a time machine, nipping to our local shop at the time, grabbing a pack of chewits for 10p and then heading to Japan to smash everything to pieces on an egg hunt in The Muncher. Ah, the games are thinning out, so statistically the chances of getting good or great games must be increasing. Right? Right? Oh, no. <laughs> This that that was up to the past for uh, July nineteen. Uh, we you enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know about getting better. Um, I think they're getting less frequent. This is actually good though because um, that means that if we work out the averages, and you're a maths, I know you like your maths and stuff like that. But if you think about it, if you shrink the pool of games, then the game quality actually could increase, right? Because there's less games. You know, we've seen a lot of games, crap quality. Now we're going to see less games. That might mean the quality games are going to be... The only ones that are left. Statistically, well, statistically, that means there might be more frequent. If you were going to plot a chart, it would probably tell you something about that particular mathematical equation. It, it, yeah, I mean, it could. It could. I'm not a mathematician, so I don't know what that means. Um, I do like math, but I'm not a mathematician either. I just play around the edges like, a, I don't know, like a top of a bell curve. Should we look at the cover? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I we must that's look the at the cover. It is the start of a new month. It is the cover wow. time. Yeah, issue 50. Wow. Issue 50. £1.60. Is that going um, up? It says, Lummy, sir, is this the best Zap Mega Tape yet? Well, no, I didn't try it. Was it good? Did Lummy. you try it? Uh, mm-hmm. It's got zigzag on it. I haven't tried it. I've got all the, I've got all the Mega Tapes or whatever they're try them at some point. Zigzag the remix. Was, was it always Mega Tape? Was it always Mega Tape? Don't, don't, probably not. I think it was just a Zap. Um, I don't know, quite... Cover know. tape, wasn't it? I don't know. Yeah, don't know. cover tapes. Adding mega to things is kind of a weird thing to do, and that, but it was a very 80s thing to do. Yes, yes, it was. Anyway, yes. I No, I, did, I don't think I've played it. I, I, at this point, by the way, um, I had not. I'd stopped buying Zap at this point in back in the eighties. So this was it. So these are all new Zaps for me. Yeah, I think I. I can't. Remember, I think a fifty-one, fifty-two. I think fifty-three. Maybe was my. That was my uh That was my ooh, limit. That was my limit. <laughs> yeah. Fifty one zaps was my limit. <laughs> Along with thirteen schnitzel grubers. Um so the cover it is Zap sixty two Amiga. It is speedball. It's no ordinary ball game. It's not. It's it's an Spiky odd thing. Handball. Speedball. Yeah, it's 
That is now I've, I haven't watched Rollerball, the film Rollerball, but I'm guessing that that's got to be an influence on Speedball at some level, right? And that about Star Galactica. So well, there was that two. classic old C64 game, Rocket Rocket Ball, wasn't there? That was speed. That was Rollerball. Uh, yes, yes, that was yes, great. That was. was. We should have looked at that. We should. We, we, I might bring that back at some point and bring it back. Rocket Ball. Um, so Speedball is the cover. Good cover, actually. Yes, actually, yeah. It's it's. We're getting back to the kind of. I'm noticing that we've got a an Ollie Frey teeth thing. Um, <laughs> he does like his teeth. <laughs> he does growly kind of face teeth, um, but they they are really good in that. I have to say, and it is. It reminds me I, when I look at this. I think I think Speedball, but I'm also thinking like what's it called? The Games Workshop game that was all kind of Blood Bowl, this kind of thing. Blood Bowl. I get the kind of Blood Bowl vibe of it. It's like a, a bloody sports yeah. game involving people in sort of helmets and things. Helmets and spikes and smashing into each other and very rounded groinal pieces. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so you, you might have seen that. I didn't I didn't go that far, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it is very kinetic. We always know Ollie Frey does kinetic very well, so. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, two, it's two guys in various opposite teams smashing into each other in pursuit of a silver orb, the... Speedball, I guess. Uh, they are angry face twins, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> just copy and paste that. Enhance, enhance one forty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> but it is kinetic. There's a, there's a nice outreach of the ball, like you say. There, it is pretty. The movement on it's really it's good. good. I do like it. It's, it's one of the best covers we've had in ages. Isn't yeah. It, whoever really? did the uh, that cover for Bomb Fusion we played the other week, sort of thing, should have had a look at this and how to do perspective of how to reach a hand out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Learn to draw, and I can't draw, so I'm, you know, I, no, I'm learning from this look as at, look, Just look at this and then go, oh, that's how you do it. Yeah, yeah that yeah, is exactly how you good. do it. And this had a mega tape on it as well, which means that there's a huge chunk of the front which you would never have seen as well. No, unless it did, and then it says, oi, where's my cassette? Well, yeah, but normally they have like, um, they kind of build around that, don't they? This one actually, for the first time, I think, is a cover that is just there in spite of the cassette. So the cassette would just sit, sit on that as opposed to leaving a big yellow gap for it or something like yeah, that yeah, which yeah. is what they kind of did before this so i like this cover a lot the only thing i don't like is where it says demos of phobia and then it, under, underneath that it says martin walker's music it's like <laughs> uh, kind of taking away from everyone else that made that game really a bit there aren't you <laughs> i think no, i think mean. it's just a, i think it's just um some martin some martin walker music is on the tape <laughs> i think it's just a demo so i think i think it's the demos of phobia and martin walker's music i think separate yeah. things but it could be wrong the best Zap mega tape yet, is it? Though? I, I don't know. I what don't have they had so far? They had got one, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what number they're up to with this one. but I think it's I only know, a third, right? isn't it? I don't know, maybe three third or four. Or I don't know, but best one yet? I don't know, really? With yeah. Phobia on? Phobia ain't that good. I don't know. There's also a mention of Forgotten Worlds. It's a bit lost, that text there, isn't it? And Power Drone. <laughs> red, red text on... on Holly Frey's red outline, red background, yeah. that's, that's lost a bit as well. Yeah, white on white, red on red, yellow on yellow. Things have gone wrong. <laughs> Things have gone badly wrong. Yeah. Yeah, those three bits are really quite lost, aren't they? Speedball, Power yeah. Drome, and Forgotten World. Yes, but unfortunately, yes, yes. But yeah, it's, it's a good cover. Yeah, it's one of the best ones we've had in ages. It's it's kinetic, it's got angry teeth, all the incumbent <laughs> parts of a of a cover that I like. It's good. Yeah, man twins in spikes, things we <laughs> man, like. <laughs> man twins, turtle shell backs, all good. <laughs> all all good. good. And shiny, shiny helmets. <laughs> should we uh should we move along should we move along and get in some games now we've done the cover yeah, you know. i think it's time let's do it let's get in some games then let's do our first one and our first one is so 
what was a gold medal on the Amiga is a mere three mile island on the C six five. I mean a sizzler. <laughs> it's a sizzler only. It's a sizzler only, yes. It's a- it only sizzles on the on sixty four. <laughs> It'll be sizzling for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is those worlds that have been forgotten, or forgotten worlds, to you and I. It's another arcade conversion from US Gold, mm, from the original arcade title, which was made by Capcom mm. in 1988. No. Another they big don't have a good track release. record with them. They no. don't have a good track record. Conversions, bad. Capcom conversions, aye. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, well, we'll see. Yeah, so it's another big arcade release ran on Capcom's CPS-1 arcade system board, which, according to the wiki on it, had a 68,000 Motorola processor running at 10 megahertz, a secondary Zilog Z80 chip running at 3.579 megahertz. Wow. And it also had two CPS Superchip co-processors. I don't know what they were. Mm. Superchip process, co-processors. Sneaky. Yeah, and for sound, it had a Yamaha YM2151 chip and an Oki OK. One six I OKI six two nine five chip. Oh, didn't they all though? Didn't <laughs> oh Oki? Where did you ever learn? <laughs> Phil Oki chip. <laughs> Phil Oki chip. <laughs> That'd be great if it was. Why does it keep playing? Don't you want me? <laughs> Every time we put some music in, I don't understand. Take that Oki chip out. It just keeps doing the same song over and over again. I don't know why. That and Electric Dreams. It won't stop having them. <laughs> um, that's it. That's my Phil Oki knowledge. <laughs> Oki knowledge expired. <laughs> Absolutely, I've just run out. Uh, I need more. I need more megahertz. Uh, it could have four thousand and ninety-six on-screen colours, up to two hundred and fifty-six sprites per scan line. That's a lot of sprites per scan line. That's what fair. it says. And it also had a shit ton of RAM. I couldn't work it out wow. on the thing. It's just a lot. There's a lot of RAM Mola, going on. It had Mola RAM. <laughs> Mola RAM. All the RAM. Bobby RAM. Kaliva. All the RAM. Mola, Mola RAM. Simon RAM. Loads of them across multiple boards. Another beast. Of machine uh so obviously it should be no problem support down to the humble c64 i'm guessing <laughs> anyway this port was handled by arc developments code by richard underhill visuals by paul walker and music such as it is by mark cooksey so just a sort of point of interest i played for mostly i played the easy flash cart version of this that's the one I got hold of. I did try the disc version as well. So on that version, I found the loading was a little slow. Not terrible, but a bit slow. But I also had it just freeze on me at the end of level one. Yes. Um, so it just didn't progress. So I just went back to playing the cart version, which didn't do that. So, um, you know, so that's what I was playing. So I'm not really going to mention much of the loading because I was playing it off the cartridge. So there you go. Anyway, after all that, there's got to be a story to this, right? Right. I hope so. Emperor Bios, the god of destruction, has begotten eight evil gods who were destroying all known civilization. Destroyed cities turned into dust ruins and became known as Forgotten World. But the spirit of people's angry minds created two super warriors to fight back against the evil demons and rescue the world back from Bios. Their task is awesome, for Emperor Bios is protected by three demigods, including the Golden Dragon, the God of War, and the Paramecium. Cool. Isn't the Golden Dragon a Chinese restaurant? Chinese around the it's just around the corner. They do really good uh, crispy chicken. Yeah, chicken it. balls, yeah. Yeah, and the paramecium, isn't that, uh, isn't that something on your body? <laughs> <laughs> it's that bit between your ass crack and your elbow. <laughs> the road to Grimsby, as they call it. <laughs> it's in oh, the meaning God, of no. life, the road to Grimsby. <laughs> <laughs> what this all entails is you and a buddy if you have one traversing a number of side scrolling levels shooting anything that comes at you basically yes this is a horizontal scrolling shooter to all intents and purposes but instead of a ship you control one of the super warriors 
According to the instructions, the forgotten worlds you'll pass through are the cityscape, which takes up the first Ooh. two levels and finally sees you off. Sorry, finally sees you facing off against a single color anus spewing rubbish at you. At least that's what it looked like to me. <laughs> dust world is up next, where you finally go up against the dust dragon. Um, high tech is the next world, which has you blasting stuff until you reach the god of war. Um, and only blasting his shoulder will lead to victory. Weird. It's very odd, isn't it? <laughs> like, what's like? What can we have that's like Achilles' heel? Uh, um, we'll have the God of War shoulder. That's catchy. Painful shoulder, yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, a twingy right shoulder. <laughs> right on my shoulder. Oh, oh my, my wing oh. point. It's where I was You've held and I was in the pond. Oh, massive impingement. <laughs> finally, you take your assault to the God's Domain, which is above the clouds, and finally sees you off. Finally sees you face off against Bios, and you know if you compl- if you kill him, you complete the game. Well done, Wee. As you shoot certain enemies, they will drop coins. Um, and this is currency in the game. And that currency is called Zenny. It is a stupid name for currency. One of the worst I've heard. You, you'll want to collect this Zenny, though, because throughout the level, shops will appear. And if you fly into them, you are greeted by a smiling woman in an off-the-shoulder dress for some reason. And you'll be able to spend your precious Zenny, ah, precious Zenny, on such precious things Zenny. as homing missiles, lasers, napalm bombs, burners, V-cannons, armor, multidirectional fire... And finally, boosters to increase your weapon's power. Mm. Or at least that's what the instructions say. Because in game, mm. when you go into a shop, you've got six blurry icons to decipher and a seventh at the bottom, which gives you a totally useless tip. <laughs> Very accurate description, actually, that. Yeah, there's no text to tell you what they are, just the cost. No. So good luck with working out what each one is. Good luck. Nope. Because they're even not, they're not even in the same place as the ones in the arcade. Uh, look nope. at the arcade. And the arcade only has six as well, and the tip. I don't know where they've got eight from in the instructions. I Ooh, don't know I don't what's like happened. the sound of that. Six and the tip. Ooh, no. <laughs> 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 at the end of the interstitial levels, and with some of the bosses, you will be tacked by a stack of sprites that look like a stein of beer, a cog, a compass, the drawing circles kind, a plate, and a shape of some description that might be a trophy, but I'm not sure. They were weird, those bits. It's just a stack of objects. Yes. They just appear, and they're just there. They don't even really attack you. They just kind of fall over. I, th- I don't mm, know what that bit was. Strange. Because I couldn't see it in the arcade version when I looked at that. But like, no. what are these? Why am I being attacked by a stein and a compass? That's <laughs> ah, very odd. The enemies that attack you are a combination of monsters and craft and giant squids, finally. Yay. <laughs> and turrets and all the usual stuff you might see in a late 80s horizontally scrolling shooter. It's just stuff. It's big stuff, small stuff, little stuff. Just shoot everything. Comes from the back, comes from the front. Just shoot everything. The shoot graphics themselves all. in the C612 version vary in quality. The interstitial screens with the odd bit of really weird dialogue, which is just taken from the arcade game. So this is this is one of those early kind of badly translated from Japanese into English sort of lines of lines of text. They're very well drawn versions of the arcade images, um, and it is good to see them here. So it's nice to see all those section, mm. all those parts from the arcade sort of making a show here. So I think so when you do collect some of this, a nice bit. And the, some of the bosses, I mean, the giant anus is a bit rubbish, but the big dragon's pretty good. And the God of War with his, you know, his temperamental shoulder is pretty decent as well. They obviously do like the definition of the arcade uh, game, though. But you know, it is what it is. In the game, we've got a couple of nicely drawn, rotationally animated player sprites. They are quite well drawn and they're quite nicely animated. And I imagine they looked a bit not blocky, but you know, you could see it. But I could imagine back in the uh, late eighties on a CRT, that CRT blurring would have made them actually look pretty good. I think. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. there's a, there's some they're they are pretty decent. And so most of the enemies are suffer from the same in clear vision not so great but 
with CRT smear, they'd be fine. The bosses themselves are suitably big and well-grown, but I did notice there's quite a lot of flickering going on at times, especially in the bosses, and not much of them is actually animated. They do that thing where there's a lot of graphic, but about one part of it. The only one part of it is actually animated or doing anything. But, you know, they're decent approximations of the arcade game ones, I guess. They're, they're tried and they're pretty decent. The backgrounds are a weird mix of multi- and single-color designs. They're very odd, the backgrounds. Like at the bottom, it's all multicolor, but then in the main upper part, lots of single color stuff. Yeah. It's weird. And, and so some of the bosses, like that, like I said, they had that big anus thing, it's just single colors. It's a weird, weird combo. It does all, however, yeah, they're okay. The scrolling's smooth, I mean, throughout, and it works well with two plays on screen. I think there isn't really much any slowdown, it's a bit flicker. Although it does all feel a little sedate compared to the madness of the arcade. There's, it's, there's not as much going on, mm. which is to be expected, but there you go. There's also a lack of music throughout. There's a really limp piece of music when the game first loads, and then there's nothing beyond that. But not that I heard, anyway. And the sound mm. effects are nothing particularly right home about either. So, you know, with all that, it must play... I mean, sounds good. You're shooting stuff, you're going left to right, loads of stuff, arcade bits. It must play amazingly to get that 93%, right? Right? No. Right. The controls are stupid. Uh-oh. <laughs> there's no other word to describe them. So in the arcade, you kind of got an mm. Akari Warriors dual stick type control system. So you can move your sort of fly your character around the screen, but you can fire in, I think, loads of different, I think 16 different uh, things on yeah, the arcade, yeah, yeah. but whatever. You can, so essentially it's like a dual stick sort of control system. So you can move and shoot in different directions. And that kind of works in that sort of sense of what you do in the arcade. In trying to replicate that on the C64, They've made it so that holding down or pressing fire whilst moving left or right rotates you counterclockwise or clockwise a 45-degree step. What that means is that mm. moving around the screen and trying to shoot ends up just firing literally anywhere. Anywhere but in the direction you actually want really to shoot. Stupid. It's just annoying. You Because you, you essentially, you, you've got to kind of forget about the x-axis and just move up and down. Just use the y-axis. Place yourself in a place yeah, on the screen yeah, yeah. and use the, and the waxes. Um, and facing the direction you're going. Uh, and, and that's just keep shooting. Just move up and down. Try not to tap left or right while you're firing because you'll suddenly be firing sort of top left or bottom, you know, top right or bottom right. Oh, and it's just so annoying. I don't understand why they've done this. Uh, for my my thought, they would have been better off taking out the rotational shooting altogether or just having you be able to flip left and right with a space bar or something. It's borderline unplayable because of it as far as i'm concerned what you know what good is it when you need to collect some zenny in the middle of the screen because it doesn't last for long as well there's any it just appears on the screen and it's gone quite quickly you're gonna go grab it as you're moving towards it enemies are coming on so you start shooting and you're just spinning spinning endlessly spinning instead of firing in the direction you're facing it just doesn't make any sense and it doesn't play very well and it's it, it's very frustrating and annoying so the arcade had a load more space to play in and two ways to control movement and a direction of fire. The C64 doesn't. So it should have just done away with it. It should have just got rid. There's also, weirdly, a control matrix grid in the instructions, and it shows that the C64 and Amiga version, and I think the Amstrad and Specky version, have no smart bomb either, but the Atari ST and IBM PCs do. So weird. There's, like, features missing, but in, in the other ones, I don't know why it's not in the Amiga one. I don't know where that is. It's a strange conversion, this. There's some really nice visual presentation around the edges, and there's some good in-game graphics. But as soon as you start playing it and trying to control it, it just all falls to pieces. We had similar problems with the official port of sidearms, I seem to remember as well. I think that did something similar where we couldn't... Yeah, flicking, we did. We were flicking back left all over the place. You're, you're yeah. trying to, And we didn't like that either. Just take, stop doing this. And then we played the other one, Zybex, and did it much better. Just took it yeah. out. You've got to look at the machine you're porting to and go, and this wasn't back in the days where we were expecting arcade perfect. I think if they'd have just left this as just shooting to the right and maybe you could flip to the left, I don't, you know, with it's a space, space bar, bar just to flip or something like that. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it would have worked much better as it is. No, it's too. It's chaotic to control. It's way too chaotic to control. It just makes the whole thing not worth playing. Well, at least for me, I just could, I couldn't get on with it. I, I got you know I got quite far into it as much as I could, but I, I was fighting the controls constantly all the time, and I just found that these are worlds that just need forgetting, as far as I'm concerned. So that was my mm. take on it. What about you, Graham? How did you find your time in the Forgotten Worlds? Yeah, well, very, very similar, actually. I mean, I thought it had a really nice look and feel mm. uh, right from the get-go. I mean, I know there's loading and things like that. I also played the CRT version and the on the disc version. And I have to say, I thought it captured an arcade, which is something we've not seen really done very well, where it, it kind of captured the interstitial bits and, you know, and it just had a kind of an arcade feel and the graphics were an 8-bit version of that. And I thought, okay, you're leaning on the arcade. We've not got the greatest graphic chip in the world, but what we've got is, you know, you've, you've kind of maximized what you've got there. Fine. Mm. And I thought even the sound, it was a bit basic, but it was passable. You know, it, it, that part of it, okay. I expected a C64 version of an arcade and that's kind of what I got at this point. Mm-hmm. So I thought the graphics in the game, again, good. Some really nice backgrounds. The shading was nice and the detail was nice on some of those. Add add those parts. That part of it was quite good. And there's a lot to it in terms of the kind of the the look and feel. They're quite detailed in the arcade. So to capture that in 8-bit is going to always be a challenge, but they did quite well with that. I thought the enemy sprites were okay. But we're sort of, you know, if we chart the sort of graph of, you know, the expectation... I've started quite not not high because I I didn't what Forgotten Worlds wasn't an arcade I spent a lot of time with and um, nor was it an arcade conversion I was particularly bothered about either. Mm-hmm. But they sort of set their benchmark pretty high, you know, good graphics, good interstitials, nice title screen, the music was okay, and then it starts to sort of head downhill. So the enemy sprites okay, they're not amazing. Your sprite okay, it's not as ma- not amazing, and then the the big problem steps in, doesn't it? The stupid controls. Mm. So. The control system is just a stupid pain in the ass. There's yeah. no other way around it. That's what it is. Um, I found myself just rotating round, shooting in the wrong direction. When I finally got to grips with it, well, when I finally thought I'd got to grips with it, I actually hadn't. And I just changed position. I'm suddenly shooting at a weird angle. Then I'm thinking, <laughs> why am I shooting at that angle? Like you say, the best thing to do is just get yourself to a position where you're shooting to the right like a standard shooter and just go up and down. Yeah. But you can only do that for so long. The enemy sprites are quite targeted so they they know the bullets do fly straight towards you and they're actually quite hard to avoid and um, because mm-hmm. the system of the game is designed around you being able to shoot 360 so the enemies attack you in kind of a crazy way but you can't control it properly so you don't have the controls to be able to tackle that that's a massive problem which makes it too easy to go wrong all of a sudden you'll find yourself shooting rotating you're not in the right place you're not doing the right thing. You are not controlling the game. These games live and die. We've said this so many times, but I'm going to say it again. These games live and die by their controls. If you can't control the one sprite and the shooting that you have properly, then you may as well not bother. You know what? I mean, even at its most basic, you know, Defender, such as we didn't like it, Defender. But if we go back to the C64 best version of Defender, which is Drop Zone, you know, you've got that kind of two-way shooting over a landscape, and you've got that kind of you know, that kind of paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, Forgotten Worlds add three hundred and sixty shooting to that; it's unnecessary. So, yeah. Forgotten Worlds has an unnecessary component. Necessary because they had to convert the arcade. Unnecessary because it makes the game relatively uncontrollable. And now, I tr- I'd really try to persevere with it because I thought the graphics are nice. I want to try and get the best out of this, but the control system ends up fighting you all the damn time. It's not something mm-hmm. you can get used to. 
It's not something you can get better at. You're just better off trying to stick to it in one position, but accidentally you'll change it. So you'll be shooting, you know, turn it into a standard shoot up and then you'll try not to be that. Um, you're just shooting up and then all of a sudden you'll change position. And you're like, oh my God, why have I done that? And it's because yeah, the controls exactly. are working against you. And then you think, oh, why did I bother? Now, the big question for me is how this achieved 93% and a sizzler. I don't, know. I don't believe it. I don't believe it's, it's, it's good enough to be that. This has so many control problems that I can't get my head. I mean, it, you could fall for the looks maybe, and maybe it would get 80 because of the looks, maybe. But this game is not controllable on the long term. I don't know how you would achieve the, to completion this game. I don't get it because I think you, you, at some point you're going to make a mistake and you're not going to be able to control it. I mean, I spent a lot of the time just going round in circles. I turn to the right, press the fire button to shoot, rotate. I'm like, I don't want to rotate. I need to just shoot. Yeah, it's so it's so frustrating, and it very quickly led me to the off switch. So that it was you know nine ninety nine, whatever ninety three percent though, or whatever. I never played the Amiga version, as far as I remember, but the C sixty four version ninety three percent. I'm just I can't get my head around that. I don't believe it is that good. You're talking seven percent off perfect. Sorry, no way, nowhere near. This yeah. you know, if for me, if I was being really honest, I would be giving this in around the fifties and sixties. No, I'd give it a good chunk of chunk for the graphics because they aren't a bad job. The multi-load is slow, but this game has control problems in a game that cannot afford them. So go and give it a go. You know, by all means, you know, as people who do you know follow along with the podcast and um, they play the games that we play, go and play it, see what you think. But I'm pretty sure that control system is going to do your head in within a short space of time because it certainly did mine. So sorry, Forgotten Worlds, but I'm trying to forget you. Yeah, and the, the weird thing is, is that reading the Zat review... Neither there's three. It obviously gets three pages. It gets a big old review, and there's three comments. There's all of them commenting on it. The only person that comments is, is Katie. Says something about the um, controls, but the quote is here: and "You don't have to mess about with the sort of awkward controls which made sidearms." Like you do. you do. None of the others mentioned the controls. The controls in this are rubbish. The controls break yeah. it, and I, yeah. I, I don't know why that isn't even mentioned. It's just weird because it's like it's the first thing you would sort of say. Like in presentation, you'd go, "Well." It looks nice, but where would you put the controls? You can't control it. You can't. Pain in the ass. So, but hey ho, there you go. That's Forgotten Worlds. Looks nice, but mm. <laughs> but it is what it is. Just as a, an addendum, just to so, so we can comment on it in Japan, Games Machine listed Forgotten Worlds on their September first, nineteen eighty eight issue as being the second most successful table arcade unit of the month. Okay. Second. Outperforming okay. titles like Sky Soldiers and The Ninja Spirit. Okay. I don't remember much about it in the arcade, but I can imagine it's one of those ones that would get some attention. It's not a, an arcade that's not without its merit, but... Mm. Yeah, here we go. That's Forgotten World. Let's move along. Still got a couple of games before we go to a break, and let's move into our next one. And Graham, that next one is over to you, because it's time for you to head on out to America and go down the Las Vegas casino. Ah, uh, casinos. And Las Vegas is a special place for that because that's where they all are. There's casinos and there's gambling everywhere in Las Vegas. You ever been to Las Vegas? I have not. Everywhere you go, there's gambling machines. Even at the airport, even the place where you wait to pick up your car. If you hire a car, there's gambling machines right there's there. Gambling machines the, in your car. Yeah, there's gambling machines on the. If you go to a, a bar, there's gambling machines on the bar. They're actually on the bar itself, on the bar top while Good you wait. Lord, they're everywhere. So this is um, published by Zeppelin Games. So you know they're quite. You know they're quite. Uh, they're Produced quite a few things, haven't they? So, yeah, 
been pretty Coded good. by Kevin Franklin. Well, he did Draconis and Zybex. Mm. Okay. Graphics, Michael Owens. He did Draconis and Zybex. Pretty mm. good. Musician, Adam Gilmore. He did Draconis and Zybex as well. Mm. <laughs> Ooh. So it's by the people that made Draconis and, and Zybex and probably others. Yeah. Um, it's a gambling game, obviously, with a name like Las Vegas Casino. The opening title screen is some lively, if a touch melancholic, and perhaps you even, dare I say, even Euro poppy music, which I quite liked on the mm-hmm. title screen. We'll come back to that in a bit, though. You can choose from four popular Las Vegas casino games here. Blackjack, Baccarat, Roulette, and Craps. Um, and I tell you what, by the time you've played the first three, you'll want to go for a crap. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's true. Um, you start all of these things with $250, and into the gambling world you will head. Um, your joystick controls a little hand icon up and down to select the various games at this point on the screen, because obviously there's a screen where you can choose them. Mm-hmm. Press fire, and into the games you go. Well, deal with them one at a time. Um, so Blackjack... When you start, this is more lively and, dare I say, good, but badly misplaced music because none of the music from this point fits this game in the slightest. Not that the opening title music does really either. The display shows columns with thousands, hundreds, tens, and units, which is almost akin to being at kind of, you know, junior school, but (laughs) hey-ho. It's like an abacus. (laughs) It is. And so you use the joystick to go up and down to increase your stake in the appropriate column. And that's how you sort of, and that's actually pretty much replete through the whole game. That's how you decide it for the whole game. See, this is how you bet, essentially. Mm-hmm. So you do that. Then you see a view of the cards at the top with the dealer underneath. Pretty perfunctory graphics that say, you know, that, that it looks like a guy, dealer guy, but this, you know, the and cards. But at this point, you kind of like, you know, they're, they're graphics for graphics sake. They're not terrible, but, you know, there's not a lot of shading or fancy stuff. They are what they are. Um, so underneath that, you'll see your stake, the cards in your choice, which is at this point, you can hit or stand. It's his black standard blackjack rules. The idea of blackjack is to get to 21 before the dealer and whatever card combo that may be. You can get to a certain point. You can obviously choose to hit and take another card. If this takes you over 21, you are bust. If you are not, then you can get up to 21 and, you know, you can stick. Um, and then, of course, you know, it's dependent on whether you're going to beat the dealer at this point. So if you do beat the dealer, um, you win. If you don't, you lose. Pretty straightforward stuff, really. And if you keep losing, it's game over and you'll lose and you'll lose all your money. Rubbish that. Mm. It's back to the start you go. Baccarat's slightly weirder. It's the same selection of stake mechanic, though. So you choose, you know, tens, hundreds and units kind of in a stack. Weirdly different music again, which would have probably been good for a sci-fi shooting game, but not for this at all. You choose your stake and then you go, this time you sort of bet on a on a player with yes or no. So you're actually choosing whether you're going to choose you or the dealer to win. And then the cards are flashed up and the rules of Baccarat are applied, which I think is you have to, I can't remember the rules of Baccarat actually off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> no one can. Them. They're not particularly complicated. Um, I think you have to score a certain number. I think it's number nine. I can't remember if it's nine or whatever it is. But anyway, there's the rules of Baccarat. You can go and find that. I think you have to score combos at number nine. But if you don't, you lose. And if you lose, you lose your money. If you win, you win. Great. Bit confusing though, that game, the way it worked. There's roulette as well. Now, the roulette was a small roulette wheel on the left and a roulette board table on the right. It's weird, isn't it? And there's numbers, colours and choices that you can choose. You choose your odds with up or down, which is odd. An odd way of choosing roulette, but that's kind of the reality of what you're doing. But it sort of takes it down to a real weird gambling mechanic level. So it's like, choose your you know odds. You're like, uh, I don't know if I want to do it that way. I like the idea of not choosing my odds, but anyway. But you choose your odds up and down, and then you use the joystick to move the chip onto the choices that are available for those odds. Seems really unintuitive to do it that Massively way. Massively, yeah, I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> Yeah, stupid. Um, so, and it didn't feel like you're sort of moving this dot around the board, and you're like, it, and the board's quite small, by the way. So the roulette wheel is quite small on the left. The board is quite small on the right. You can't really read what's going on. The idea of roulette, of course, is that the there's a a wheel with a series of numbers on that are in black and red. 
and uh, the wheel is spun and the ball is rolled in there and then the ball obviously ticket 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 goes round when it lands in a particular black or red number you could have voted on whether you want voted you could have bet on whether you wanted black or red or the number or range of numbers or and there's a whole bunch of different bets that you could do yeah. hence the hence the odds part so that's kind of how roulette works but when you're selecting that in the and when you're actually gambling you know there's a huge table in front of you you can just slide your chips onto the sort of you can put it on the cross point of four numbers or you can put it in a sort of group of yeah. six and you can, you know, it's how you want to work it. You don't really get that here. And that is a big problem because kind of roulette is kind of hinged upon how you manage your bets and, and working the odds to your advantage because you can spread your bets across a, a across a roulette board. So you can have a little bit here and a little bit over there and a little bit. I'm going to bet so much on this and so much on that. And you can do that, but it just doesn't feel here like it really means much. And by the way, when you win stuff, it's such an underplay it's not like you get a big like, da-da-da-da, you've won, woohoo! It's like you won, great, yeah, move on. <laughs> so it's like it's almost like you know mechanical gambling. It's kind of a bit bit crappy in that way. So the un- unintuitive controls don't help here. You, you same selection screen for the stake, which also doesn't make sense really at this point. So it sort of leans back into that. But you also have to hit the space bar to start the spin, which is odd because all the way through it's been joystick control, mm. and it also starts the spin with the ball in it, which is totally wrong because that's not how roulette works. The ball, you spin the wheel and then, and then you, you roll the ball in. You roll the ball in, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing that, you're not doing roulette. And that's actually, you know, that there are very specific rules around how you gamble. Of all the of all the sort of things that you could make a game out of, especially Vegas gaming, it is absolutely hinged upon the mechanics and the rules of how those things play out. So you can't vary them. You can't say, oh, you know what? Let's use a different kind of card deck for a goof. Let's no. Let's put the ball in with the roulette and spin it. You can't do that because that's not roulette. That's mm-hmm. some other variation of whatever. Spin the ball, but that is not how roulette works. And so fundamentally, that's broken, really. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to craps, again, you select a stake and then you play craps. I'm not really much idea of what you have to do. I found the found the instructions for this, but in all fairness, they're a bit confusing. And by the time I'd got to craps, I was kind of bored of playing these games. Really, so. Okay, it's it's all it's a budget game, all right? It's a four-in-one gambling game, fine. Musically, I suppose it's interesting, but none of the music suits the game at all. The graphics are pretty basic for what they are, although there is an attempt at least of some kind of game styling, so there's a you know, there's a thematic consistency, I guess you'd call it. But it lacks pretty much every conceivable feeling, tone and relationship or anything to do with Las Vegas, which is yeah. kind of important for a gambling machine and gambling game. I mean, there's other than the name and the fact that you might encounter games like this in a casino, there is absolutely nothing here to do with Las Vegas. Nothing. And that's for me, that's a big problem, having been to Las Vegas and knowing how crazy they are about this stuff. So make a game that's just, it's just, just call it what it is, a casino, because it's, it's nothing to do with Vegas at all, nothing. So, and apart from anything else, I have to say these games hold absolutely no interest to me at all. I don't really like gambling. I'm a rubbish gambler. I always lose. I never do it. So for most people, especially gamblers, this is going to hold no interest. I don't know. Do you get the endorphin hit from winning virtual money that has absolutely no value? We said it so many times before. Maybe there's a market for this. I don't get where the thrill is in it, but when you're winning literally no money, because the whole point of gambling is that you win money. And the idea is that you think you're winning money, even though you're losing money. But for some people, and that, that's a particularly cool thing. I don't get this. But then again, there's an entire industry set up on these kind of virtual gambling games. So there must be something in it. But in those that I know that exist currently, you do stand a chance of winning real money, I think. Anyway, you don't win real money in this, of course. You just win nothing. And I think that does massively affect the thematic association with anything to do with gambling, really, or Las Vegas as well. It's an odd-sounding anomaly, this. 
bit of a blip, I think, for Zeppelin, who've up to this point had quite a good track record with stuff. So this one's a kind of a, I don't know when they what happened and why they made this in any race anyway, because it, it doesn't feel like it's anything that they would have normally produced. It feels like this is one of the first things they made that was in some cupboard somewhere and someone went, oh, I'll just release it. And I hope it isn't because that's kind of a problem we've had with these budget games. This was two ninety nine. And I don't I hope it isn't that, but it's not very entertaining this. And it's certainly nothing to do with Las Vegas. It got 34% in Zap. I think I would argue for a game of this type, that's even generous by their mm-hmm. accounts because this isn't a great gambling game, but you might have found more solace in it, did you? No, no. Do, do, I mean, just to sort of say that these guys, Kevin Franklin, Michael Owens, Adam Gilmore, their last game was that Jockey Wilson's darts challenge. So it's it reminded me of that. Yeah, it's soulless, but it's not gambling. No, what no, but what I mean is like it's a, it's kind of a weird way of doing like they had that weird way of doing the darts and the presentation was yeah, similar yeah, yeah. similar sort of style is what I mean. Not gambling, no, but um uh no, I've said it before, I've said it again. I don't get these games. I don't. Virtual gambling is pointless. It's just pointless. Pointless and empty. It's an empty, way more empty than the real thing. I mean at least with the real thing, you've got the tangible possibility of winning something real. But you know, here it's just a what is it? It's a simulacrum of a series of boring games. Presented, albeit quite nicely, they're they're okay. The thematic is okay, although the roulette is confusing as hell, and so much the screen is taken up by the text on the bottom. It's just ridiculous, and craps is just a confusing mass of things on the right hand side. But you know, if you know what you're doing, I suppose you're looking. The easiest one to do play on this is, uh, you know, obviously uh, blackjack. It's dead simple, isn't it? Everyone knows to play that. But it really this quickly ties like all these games do. They just do it. Just boring. There's just there's no thing to it. I also found the input system confusing. Um, especially as you noted on the roulette, which is stupid, having to pick the odds and then put where you're doing something. It's like, let me just play something where I want it and you work it out. Obviously, they, they didn't know how to do it, so they've kind of confused you into, oh, if you're betting on these odds, then we know you're doing that, so it, 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 whatever it is. And it's not very player-friendly, just in general, it's not. I didn't like the up and down, the abacus style, putting in the money and things. I, I, nah, I didn't get on with this in any way, shape, or form. The end screen, though, is... It is one of the most depressing screens I've seen since Andy Cap, and and maybe that was the point of this. I guess I don't know. The house always wins, and you'll just be left sitting on a doorstep with your head in your hands. But yeah, it's kind of a weird, really weird end screen where you just it's just this kind of silhouette of someone. I think there's someone getting drunk in the background, but it's like I was clearly either late or not. But I think it's sort of you know early morning. You've been out all night, and now you've lost all your money, and you're just head in your hands on a on a doorstep somewhere. Really, really depressing. Did you did you think the um the ending screen was quite depressing when you lost all your money and you just like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like bleak. dawn like dawn you just sat on a sat on a doorstep it's like weird yeah, isn't it's it? just like, bleak yeah really it's easy bleak. to do as well it can happen really quickly in this game. yeah but i did think i mean maybe that was the point i don't know but whatever the, the game though it's just pointless it's as pointless as all these gambling games are every single one we've played from the one with dubious eyes and stuff and what have you for every single one of these has been crap and so yeah 34 yeah, yeah. they're just they're just pointless just Go and play a bloody fruit machine at the time if you want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> or, I agree. Not a bad idea. But there you go. No, I didn't get on with this. And I knew I wouldn't, but I didn't. So there you go. Las Vegas Casino. Nope. Yeah, Las off. Vegas Casino. No. There you go. <laughs> Very good. Let's move on. We've still got one game this part. Um, so let's get to that. And it's another budget one. Another one. If the recent rubbish slew of combat school knockoffs have not put you off this type of game by now, then Zeppelin Games are back. 
here they are again in a Zeppelin double bill to give you one mm-hmm. more go at running an obstacle course through the power of Waggle. This is Para Assault Course hey. from Zeppelin and would have set you back, as I said, £2.99 or whatever your local equivalent if it was available in your area. The design here is by Brian Jobling, coding by Jamie Irvine and Peter Goldsmith and music once again by Adam Gilmore. First impressions are interesting with a loading screen that looks like our Para has had enough and he's jumping over a wall to run away over the yonder hills in the background. That's what I thought anyway. I was like, I've had enough. I'm done. I'm off. Bye. Running away. It's okay, though. It's well drawn, I guess, but it's a strange one to do. And the game loads. We get another good tune by Mr. Gilmore. You know, it's, it's another to add to the decent bits of music he's composed. Again, not sure mm. it really fits the game, but it's pretty decent. He does some decent tunes, Mr. Gilmore does. I quite like him. It's nice filtering on it, and it's a good Sid tune. Not mind-blowing, but good still. The title screen itself is an, is quite nice with a chunky game logo at the top and then a series of screens underneath that uh, showing the credits the start game options um, of which there are three I think but I can't remember if I've actually noted them down and the high scores for the four courses that are in the game there's more than one course and there's four again it's good well done and really to show some of these bigger games how to do a front decent front end um, so you know put a bit of effort into your, your front you know the menu screens it's nice it looks good some of these full price ones are just rubbish fire Import 2 is for a single-player game, and Fire Import 1 is for a two-player split-screen game. There you go. Pressing Fire takes us to some options. You can only control these options, though, with a joystick Import 2, no matter who presses it on the first one. Um, And there are some options here, so we can run a... And there's plenty of options, actually. We can run a competitive game, we can practice one of Mm. the obstacles, or see a preview of any one of the four courses. Uh, I'll start with preview because essentially preview will just scroll all the way across the course so you can see what is coming up. Handy. Handy thing. Handy little thing that is. I'm not sure if we've seen that in something else. I seem to remember we did see something kind of similar in something else, but I can't remember what it was. Because the courses have a number of obstacles in them. And so uh, there are these are climbing walls, water jumps, ramps, log jumps, monkey bars, thin wall, barbed wire crawl, death slide, and underwater tunnel. Now, if you select practice, what that does is it lets you pick uh, any of those and you can actually just do a short course just with one of those elements to allow you to get used to how it works and what you need to do to overcome it. This is a really good feature um, to have in the game and coupled with the preview mode lets you get ready for the four courses that make up the competitive mode. So you can just work your way through those. So you work out how to climb, over, jump over walls, you work out how to do the underwater tunnel, the ramps, the log jumps, because some take different speeds and things like that. And that's quite a nice way to sort of gain familiarity with the obstacles that you are going to be faced with. So competitive mode, selecting this mode lets you pick one of the four courses and whether you wish to try it in easy, medium, or hard mode, which I think does it affects the amount of time, I think. It also affects someone else, and I'll come to that in a little bit. Once that's done, you're into the game. So if you pick two player, then the game is a split screen with player one at the top and player two at the bottom. Uh, if you just picked a single player, though, it's just to say you only get the same amount of screen space and you're just at the top. That's something that could have been done better, I think, but it is what it is. I've just turned off player two at the mm-hmm. bottom. In the middle of the screen, um, we have the UI, which tells you the your, you know, it's got like, it's got sort of uh, de- uh, details for each player. So it's player one and player two. So it's got your your present power for each player. So how much you're waggling uh, and the time counting upwards for each player. So control is simple. Um, you've got, you, you waggle, waggle constantly. So it's just this is a proper waggler. Waggles. It's all waggling. You're just constantly waggling, constantly, and you press fire to jump over the various obstacles or jump onto them or whatever. So it's waggle and jump, waggle and jump, and that's pretty much it. And now it's worth doing the practice mode as obstacles come pretty thick and fast, and there's only a certain amount of time to complete the course. Um, I seem to fail at 2 minutes 40 seconds every time, so I'm guessing that's how long you have, um, which is 160 seconds, but that's what it is. But actually failing some 
obstacles like the log jumps and underwater swim, they're instant game over. Just game over. You're done. It's like, oh, don't just put you back on. Like some of them, if you fall, like don't manage some of the water jumps, it just sort of scrolls forward and puts you back up. But some of them, if you fail them, it's just game over. Done. So that's why Mm. I said you need to know what to do with each obstacle. And it's also game over in the practice mode as well. So you've got to get good at them. The graphics in game are okay. The main sprite is decent enough. It's got one of those high-res overlays. It's colored a little bit outside the lines, though. I think it's sort of character colored. I'm not quite sure. But it's it's okay. Um, And the backgrounds, uh, they're pretty well drawn and shaded. So, you know, there's lots of tires and obstacles and just buildings in the background. It's fine. I'll come to what this is like in a minute. Playing, If you play in medium mode, though, play at medium difficulty, this makes the course take place at sunset. Any of the four courses take a six at sunset. And on hard, it makes them at night. And and the graphics are drawn slightly differently for each one, so it makes things um, harder to see. So I thought this was quite a nice touch. doesn't make it so much difficult. I think I'm not sure if it lowers the time because time was all over the place because I kept saying failing at certain objects, so it's hard to know how much time you've got. didn't tell you. But actually making the obstacles harder to see because it's a time of day, I thought that was quite a, an interesting way of sort of in, uh, introducing difficulty. So you kind of have to learn them, learn the courses a bit more. The main issue, though, with this game, obviously it's a waggle-a-thon, so get used to that. The main issue I had is with the inconsistent controls. And I found sometimes they worked, um, as you think they will, and sometimes they just didn't. And the narrow window, because you basically got a, you know a, a, not even maybe a third of the screen that you're running along, even into even a single player means at times you're jumping uh, with no view of what is beneath you because the screen scrolls upwards to keep you central, but you lose the floor and you lose obstacles. And what I found is this usually happens on the the, the logs. So you mm. jump on the first log, and what you've got to keep doing is keep waggling and just keep pressing fire, and you jump from one to the next. But they're not quite spaced as far as you're going to jump, so you kind of have to sort of balance them. But the problem is, is that you go higher and higher, and eventually you jump off. You jump so high that the logs go off the bottom of the screen because they start to drop downwards, and then you've no idea where you're coming down on. And usually, I would just end up in the middle, and it would be game over. And that's very annoying. So I think they could have been better off doing the single player mode with full screen to allow you to sort of, so it didn't have to scroll. So it allowed you to actually see where you had to sort of go Two player. Fair enough, but uh, one player and also as well, just roll it forward. Don't kill you. Don't kill you on certain objects. That's really uh, punitive and, and, and too hard and just makes it annoying. Mm. Now, it's four of these courses with different layouts, and some of the obstacles are different. Like, like coming back to the inconsistency of controls, trying to do the monkey bar sometimes, you basically got to jump and then just keep waggling. But I'm waggling like hell, and sometimes you'll move, and sometimes you won't. It'll be lying, hanging there, and like, uh, so you slow down, and it'll just drop off, and it's game over. You're like, oh. Oh, you go no, you go back. That puts you back before the monkey bars. There's an inconsistency to the penalties that you get for each each um, you know each um, each obstacle, which is one of the failings of this game. Now. If all this sounds more like something else other than Combat School, well, that's because it is. Because this is a kickstart knockoff with with Combat School trousers on, essentially. This is not a Combat School game. It's kickstart. And and if you think about it in a kickstart style, we've not had many kickstart knockoffs. It's not terrible. It's just not a patch on kickstart. But, you know, it's a bit different style of kickstart. Like I said, it has some nice features like the practice and preview options, which for a budget game, I think are really kind of impressive. Even for a full price game, that would be impressive. It's let down, though, as we've said time and time again, by its slightly unreliable controls. But, you know, for three quid, I can't complain too much. It's three quid, you're getting three quid to a thing. I mean, the the thing with Kickstarter is its controls were rock solid. You knew exactly what you were doing. You, you knew how fast you could go on certain places. And with Kickstart 2 especially, that ball was raised. And so we've not seen many takes on that kind of Kickstart genre. And it, 
here we have a kind of weird somewhere in the middle of combat schools opening you know assault course mode and all those crappy ones we've seen recently like 19 and that combat arena or whatever it was or assault no what was it what was that one we saw the other month what was it with a crap name? Armored Assault, Assault Arena or something, whatever it was. Mm. I, I can't complain too much. I, I wish it wasn't all waggle. I wish there was a better control system. I wish there was maybe a little more skill involved and they pulled the view back a bit. And all these things would have made the game work a hell of a lot better. But, you know, it's not terrible. What did it get? It got 60 percent. I think that's probably about right for what's here. I, 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 but maybe, maybe a bit because of the controls are a bit just not quite as tight as you'd want them to be and there's not a consistency in the penalties for each object but if you want a combat school kickstart type thing i don't think there's any others like this but it is what it is it's not three quid whatever what did you think yeah well i mean it it had an okay title screen and that's kind of familiar to their kind of games okay good stirring music i'll give it that it sounded the part in its own kind of way but waggle games do my bloody head in Mm-hmm. And this was a lot of waggling. I mean, goodness me, when you went to practice mm-hmm. to try all the different events, and there's plenty of them, don't get me wrong, but they're all basically the same bloody event. Now, waggle, 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 run up the ramp. Waggle, 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 jump. And the jumping was a pain because if you hit the wall, it bounced you back and you're like, oh, it's so yeah. bloody annoying. And just like the way these games play out, this game in particular, but, you know, it's akin to the other games of this type. Um, you know, the combat skulls and the, God dare yeah. I say, the one that we played last time. Um, so 19 and all the rest of it. It's not as bad as that, but you know, but it's this kind of thing, you know, maybe in two play, there's something to these, but in one player, I found it pretty boring and the events very samey. The graphics were okay. I'll give it that. They're much better than any of the previous attempts at this kind of game, um, for mm. this kind of, and, the, and it is one bit of combat school. So it's not like the whole game, is it? It's just like the, yeah, the, it's the one first bit, bit. Like four courses. Yeah, it's, the, it's, it is. And it's, it's kind of like that, I suppose. The, the difference with this is like, it's not, it's, it's a much faster pace because you're waggling, you're not doing that kickstart. And this, you know, this Kickstart is ramps and different things to, to jump over yeah. and do all of that. This is just, you know, the bits I played. And when you do get to the game itself, it, it's just a mishmash of stuff. And the waggling's such a pain. It's just, <laughs> and it's really, it's not like it's easy waggling. It's really, you have to really go at it to mm-hmm. get it somewhere. You can sort of start it off and then it suddenly drops out. And it's got that frustrating thing about the speed of this. I don't know. Uh, maybe there's a two-player version of this that's fun for some people that like waggling games. I don't know. I just find it really frustrating. And I actually have to say, the whole thing just felt completely mindless and dull. Like, what yeah. are you training for? <laughs> What's it all for? <laughs> so I, I didn't like Whoa. it. I thought That's what even at for. three quid, well, m- maybe, but at three quid, okay, I get it. It's a cheap version of games that have been a lot more expensive. But Combat School kind of did this already. And it wasn't great, but it kind of did more events and it did it so this is kind of a very cheap also ran, but it doesn't have all, enough of the stuff to make it interesting or good. Aside from that, though, I suppose the thing you can say about this is it is reasonably well put together. It does work consistently. Yeah. I mean, look at that thing we played last time. Um, what was it called? Um, That's what I'm trying to think. Something, Assault Arena or Assault... It was called Action Service, is what it was. That's the one. <laughs> Stupid name. I can't remember it. It's so, <laughs> I don't know why. It's, like it's nondescript. So this is a lot... Uh, all I'm trying to say is this is a lot better than that because it wouldn't be hard to be better than that. But the problem is no. that it's just a bit mindless. Um, but maybe there's some fun to be had. The events are all basically the same. Run, jump over stuff, run, clamber over things, run, run up a ramp, run. It's just waggle, waggle more or less and jump yeah. now and again. But mm-hmm. it's a bit mindless. But maybe three quid of mindless, passable. 67%. All right, I'll give it that. Okay, but I wouldn't go back to it. No, no, I wouldn't go back to it either. 
There you go. Power Assault Course. That's our final one for this part. There's only six games this week, by the way, just to sort of let you know. But So um, we're going to go away. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. And when we are, we are going to be looking at music um, that was released in the UK albums and singles for June 1989. So please do stick around. And we're back. Let's waste no time. Number one singles for June 1989, Graham. For the first two weeks of June, we had we were sealed with a kiss by mm. Jason Donovan. I don't want him to seal anything with a kiss for me, thanks. <laughs> no. It's an right now. I did a bit of digging. Dig away. So Sealed with a Kiss is a song written and composed by Peter Udell and Gary Geld. And the original recording of Sealed with a Kiss was by The Four Voices, which was released in May 1960. We can put a link to that in the show notes. It first became a hit, however, because that wasn't a hit, in 1962 by Brian Hyland. Now, this was common back then that somebody would write a song and it would be released by one artist, then it would just be released by loads of other artists. Mm. It doesn't happen at all now. It never happened. In fact, they go to court to make sure it doesn't. But back then you could, you know, just, you know, I like that song, I'm releasing it. No, it happened a lot back then. (laughs) Um, so it was also performed and released by Gary Lewis and the Playboys. I'm not sure I like the sound of them. Mm. Um, that was in 1967. Then Bobby Vinton released one. Good old 1972. Bobby. 1972. Um, same song, pretty much exactly the same you know, arrangement. And then, of course, um, we had now, we had in 1964, The Sound of Silence by Simon O'Garfunkel. And I think that borrows probably quite a lot from this song, if you think about the way it sort of sounds. Mm. But then, you know, that leads on to sealed with a kiss with Jason Donovan in the video he starts off by walking to a campfire and looking quite you know angst ridden and 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 you know oh so maybe so dreamy for those that liked him I thought this was a really f-ing dreary song and it deserves to be b-ed. so um, and it probably would be you know, I think it was yeah. finally all those great versions of this song the uh, cover by the way of the Brian Highland one he looks very intense he looks there, very intense but, um, compared to the cover of the Jason Donovan one where he looks yeah. like he's, uh, it looks like he's forgotten something. Yeah, and he's been smoothed. The smoothing <laughs> of the eighties on this is where Photoshop has, like, you know, launched itself upon the on the world here. <laughs> I think the, no. the computer that smoothed him like blew up. There's no way that that's one render. No, pre that time. pre Botox, pre Botox smoothing in the eighties is outrageous. I mean, what Jason Donovan is what? How old at this point? Thirty something, maybe. <laughs> I don't think he's that old. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, he's is older he? than he elderly looks. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Has he got the Ralph Macchio gene? Well, I don't know about Ralph Macchio. He's just got Photoshop on his side, hasn't he? We could all look <laughs> bloody eighteen when we went with Photoshop on our side. <laughs> look what they did to uh, Indiana Jones recently. Exactly. <laughs> don't. Anyway, it's a really dreary song and. Not the only version of it, so go and look at the other versions because they're better anyway. The Bobby Vinton one's quite good, so. It's Bobby. Good old Bobby. Good old um, Bobby. For the final two weeks, we were back to life. However do you want me by Soul to Soul. Yeah. Back to life. I didn't realise till I did a bit of digging, good old whosampled.com, that Soul to Soul's Back to Life is actually a sample of Graham's Central Station's The Jam. Now, oh. you could argue that it's not because it's just a drum beat, but it is it it is that drum beat. Now that, right. that and it is that pattern and it's played in exactly that way. So maybe it is that, I don't know. And it, they they label it as that. But either way, and of course that drum beat became like the drum beat, didn't it? So Yeah, it was used in loads of things, wasn't it? Yeah. Um onto our albums. Let's not talk any more about him, but in for the first two weeks, Ten Good Reasons with Jason Donovan. I, I, I don't yeah, like you put, there's no good reasons. <laughs> no, don't don't no, no, people bought it. They shouldn't have. No. For the second week, 
uh, sorry, for one more week, there was flowers in the dirt for Paul McCartney. Mm, wobble-headed Paul McCartney. We said last time his head nearly wobbles off during the recording of some of them songs. <laughs> it does. And finally, for the final week of the month, is Batman, the uh, official soundtrack by Prince. Now, is Ooh. this... Is this a different thing to the Danny Elfman soundtrack? So yes, it is. There's two. There's two soundtracks that came out. Yeah. There's the Prince soundtrack, which has got Bat Dance and Prince songs, and a couple of songs that are in the film. Yeah. And then there's the Danny Elfman soundtrack, official, official score yeah. to the film. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I don't think because this is the Prince one, I don't think this is the soundtrack, as in the 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 music, as it were. Because I listen to the Danny Elfman soundtrack a lot. So it was one of the few soundtracks that I read that worked for me. I'm not a it's massive good, soundtrack yeah. thing. I like soundtracks in get in film but they don't normally especially classical pieces of music they don't generally work for me but danny elfman and the batman soundtrack i, used, I really liked it's very good it's a really good tunes on it um a really good piece of music um and i listened to that a lot but i don't remember any print songs in it because i would have no 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 it's, fast forward think them. back dance think the one when uh, the joker goes into the art museum and that's the print song in there i think maybe yeah. back dance but anyway yeah, yeah i think that's the that was the tone of it yeah well we'll talk about back dance the single in a bit all right let's get into the singles fourth of june start as we mean to go on in at number two is the best of me by cliff richard <laughs> is that the best of him though <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Well, I think you're very right, actually, in that at the beginning of this, there's a huge chunk of Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams. Totally the same, isn't it? it it's, almost, it's almost verbatim. It's that tune is talking about people ripping up do, all the tunes. Do, it's do, almost do, the same. Do, 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 do. And then yeah. Cliff Richard comes along and goes, do, 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 do. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> no, and I'd cannot. rather, and I'm not, I'm just going to say this, I'd rather look at Vanessa Williams than Cliff Richard. Yeah, what's he look like in this video, Graham? What does his he look like? His hair is an it's 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 an inexplicable mass. It's non-Newtonian. If you <laughs> if you just put your hand on it and lower it slowly, you're fine. If you whack that with a hammer, it just forms a shield. Like like if you hit custard, you know custard does that. Um, it's overtaking his head, and um, plus he's got so much pain face in that. Cliff Richard pain face is a thing, right? Yeah, he's, he's got a lot of that in that video. He Loads. really does. <laughs> Uh, I thought he looked like he had a massive migraine for most of this. Yes, yeah, that's his pain face. Yeah, he's like that's his pain face. Yeah, I also didn't understand why it started out in black and white, then went to sepia, and then went to color. No, I don't. Nobody knows that. Maybe he knows. You know, that's that's his hair made that choice, not him. <laughs> Cliff Richards. Oh dear. <laughs> in at number twelve, we've spoken about this already. Back to life. However, do you want me? Soul to soul. I'll go up to number one. And as I said, it always reminded me of fear of a black cat. I'm just a human. Yes, I'm just a human being. Indeed. And at number 25 is The Only One by Transvision Vamp. This is odd. I mean, I found a, a version of this where they did an appearance on Top of the Pops performing this. It's, I think, clearly more of a drive towards the primitives kind of sound um, for them. Yeah. Um, but she's just not vocally up to that standard. So it sort of start. you can hear it sort of trying to get there and then it's like she kind of pulls it back to Transvision Vamp by having a very shouty chorus, you know, like, I don't... I can see the, yeah. all the musicians in the band going, oh, we, we're I like a stompy there. chorus, but we always end up going back there. But, you know, that was just what I thought. Yeah. Um, I also noticed as well in this transvision, in this uh, Top of the Pops performance, she's incredibly oiled. Yeah, she's greasy, isn't she? She's, she's very greasy. Oh, she's real greasy, Junior. <laughs> she's slick. Jesus. She is. I don't know. It's not. If that's sweat, then lights are too bright. If it's not, she was either ill or someone's thrown a bucket of bloody uh, baby oil at her. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not complaining on any count of that, but... I mean, I'm surprised the microphone didn't slip out of her hands, though. So, Maybe so, it did. So oily. Yes, she she is very oily in that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying that in like a creepy way, because so the camera's up, she's just... Her skin is glistening. It's like... It is. She's glowing. Yes. Yeah. Number 33 is Cruel Summer 89 
by Bananarama. Um, this is horrible. It's really horrible. Um, you didn't like I don't this, did quite, you? No, because it's, it's it's they've just they've latched onto a thing. So this is essentially a reproduction of of their track, but done with that bloody ham-fisted kind of arrangement to make it sound a bit more like Paula Abdul's, like you know, stroke Janet Jackson with a hint of Madonna in there. It sounds tries to sound like that. It just utterly mm-hmm. fails. Why? Because it's a Bananarama song. It was never designed for that. <laughs> exactly. It's just yeah. horrible that they did that. And by this point, Bananarama themselves, the, the artists involved, had completely given up. They didn't give a shit. I can't imagine. So, they and you can you can tell. They're like, oh, just release it. We might make a few quid. Who cares? Because Cruel Summer is one of their better tracks, I think. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it is. It's a good track, but it's not a, that it version. It didn't it's need. It didn't need redoing. It's perfectly. No. It's perfectly okay, all on its no. own. Leave it alone, Cruel Summer got kind of melancholic to it exactly if i had my way and i don't get my way very often i would go back in time and i'd erase the orchestral hit sound for certain production teams <laughs> yeah because that's just that, that bear, 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 oh, horrible horrible thing no yeah. rubbish in the number 37 is green and gray by new model army kind of your thing in it that yeah another good track from them i just like look i'm getting really i'm getting to really like his vocal stylings i just like his he's, he's got an oomph to his vocals he really gets gets going um, and this is a big long song. It's like six minutes plus, and he, he, the more it goes, he builds this song. It's a really good song list. Really good. It's driving me more and more to pick up more of their stuff, and I'm enjoying what I'm hearing. There you go. Okay. In at number fifty is Superwoman by Karen White. Just R and B M O R horror. This isn't it, really? Spewing out from that R and B studio teat. Yeah, probably uh, the fountain. <laughs> you did Rubbish. like it for one reason, though. Yes, yes. Well, it mentions eggs, and that's always a good thing. No, if a song <laughs> mentions, they mentioned breakfast eggs in this. And that shows you that, you know, the lyrics do not match the R&B <laughs> vibe. You know, thing. They don't. No, no, the vibe is R&B. It's kind of smooth. It's, oh, yeah. How would you like your boiled eggs? It's like weird. <laughs> it's really weird. But it's, really no, it's in there. So I appreciate that. At number 51 is Be With You by the Bangles. Mm. Yeah, it's not. A, it's mm. the drummer singing, isn't it? Unfortunately, yes, for the Bangles. This is clearly because someone's gone. She's always singing. Why is she always singing? Get someone else to sing. So <laughs> they got someone else to sing. And then they went, that's why. That's why. Because she can sing. And you can't, you cardboard cut out. Play the drums. That's what you're good at. Yeah. And well, one drum at one point. She's just hitting one drum. So it's not like she's a drummer. She's a drummy. <laughs> that's all you need. This video, though, I found quite interesting. Um, because yes. it's uh, it's typical concert footage video. All right. It's one of those where they're filmed on stage. Yes, yes. But... There's so many gratuitous ass shots. There really is loads, and it and and I and I thought it'd be an interesting sort of thing. I haven't done it, but I think it'd be an interesting comparison if you compared this video, shot for shot or something, to see how this is filmed and framed and and the band are presented. To how you would compare it to something like Bon Jovi and all those other mm-hmm. kind of metal rock bands that have all those kind of studio, you know, all those kind of concert footage videos and how they're framed in their videos. Oh, completely. It, this just seems to be. Put the cameras behind them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The there's loads of back, as much back as you can shots. Put the cameras behind them or film from knee to neck. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? Um, you know, wet, wet, wet guy. Was he there? He's knee <laughs> neck. <laughs> it could well have been. <laughs> My- MartyPello.com. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cameras by Marty Pello. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to film the knee to the neck. <laughs> yeah, I, I I know. I watched it, and then I noticed that you'd obviously made the observation that you had in our like notes and so i rewatched it thinking actually I, no i'm gonna take my mind out of the gutter and watch it a second time yeah and totally you know firstly you can tell it's genuinely you can tell it was directed by a guy probably and secondly absolutely now this is this is focusing on less about their faces although there is the occasional hoff's face more about uh, and less about their music 
musicianship and playing, it's totally focused on legs and ass. <laughs> There's no, yeah, that's massively. it. And it's terrible. It's bad. It's not a great song, but it's also it's not it's just just terrible for that. Mm. I think it's even worse than when you see things like by Vixen and things like that. They're bad as well. But I think the Bangles don't sort of come across that. But it's like just watching. I was like, just can I see the band? <laughs> you know, yeah, why? absolutely. Now I also admire the fact that you you inadvertently spelt Bon Jovi wrong and put Bon Jovi, which I think they should <laughs> they should be. Bon, bon Jovi et al. You're like Bon, bon Jovi et al. Et al. Bon Jovi et al. Uh, I like that, and that's what they should be. But no, in all seriousness, representation of women in these rock videos terrible thing at this point. So yeah, it's bad. awful. Terr- I'm, I'm, I must only watch it another ten times to make sure it's terrible. <laughs> I'll turn, then I'll take it off my favourites. I will. Uh, in at number fifty-two is Gate Crashing by Living in a Box. Uh. <laughs> yeah, God, this sounds really out of date. Very out of date yeah, at this it point. Does. I forgot what living in a box were even about, and then I listened to this. And I'm like, oh god, now I remember. No, well, no. I've, I've sort of noticed that a lot of living they do a lot of songs that seem to revolve around houses or living in something. So this has got a gate in it, yeah. And I think I've been noticing it as their titles have gone along, like something about because they started off with living in a box, didn't they? Living in a they box, did, by yeah. living in a box, and there's just lots of I think houses or house references. It's like they're just obsessed with um, places of uh, you know where you live. I don't know. In at number fifty three is I'm that type of guy by LL Cool J. Mm, not a fan. I'm the type of guy. Da, 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 da. And I'm yeah, the kind like of guy. Eat, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. that. Da, da, exactly. Da, da, That's a good impression. Da, da. I like to eat my sugar, especially and you know and that kind of thing. Like, oh. I'm the other type of guy. Da, 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 da. Like, oh, I don't God. know. I, I'm not 100 percent sure on Brown Sauce's you know view of the old LL Cool J. I think he liked him, but I can't remember if he did or he didn't. But I don't remember him playing a lot of LL Cool J. Although I do remember him talking about some LL Cool J stuff. Yeah. That's my barometer for all LL Cool J things is Gary. So yeah, I, knew a couple it, of people I will have heard it. School that liked him, I think, but no, not for me. In at number 58, License to Kill by Gladys Knight. Mm, no pips. No, just a knight this time. It's the, it's the on Gladys Knight. Pip, it's the seedless version. <laughs> it is a good Bond song, this. It is really good. Yeah. I don't see it get referenced that much as a, as a Bond song as well. No one sort of goes, oh, yeah, the License to Kill track is good. But it is very good. Um, it and is. it's also one of my favourite Bond films. Yeah, you're a big fan of the old License to Kill, aren't you, Dalton? Yeah, I do like License to Kill. It's just, it's, it's Bond let loose. It's the first example of Bond gone off to do a revenge mission, hasn't uh, he? First. And I mentioned Secret Service is kind of Bond on the loose, really. Is it? Getting his, yeah, he gets revenge for his wife in that one, really, and stuff like that. Doesn't that happen at the very end, though? She doesn't die yeah, till the well, very end. Well, his wife dies at the end. I suppose there's the bit at the beginning of Fury's Eyes Only where he kills Blofeld. Yeah, it's just, but, I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. No, but I mean, this I film is entirely, you fed my friend to sharks. I'm coming for yeah, you. Yeah, 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 it is. I think it's Bond Unleashed, and I think that's yeah. something we don't see very often. He does it there. There is a lot of fighting in on a He decompresses someone. <laughs> there is that. In the decompression chamber, he pops someone. I've always liked it. It's just a pity Dalton never got the opportunity to do more Bonds, really. What happened there, though? Well, this was the last... There was about a six-year gap between this and then the next one was Goldeneye, wasn't it? Ah, right. Okay, so there was production worries. Yeah. So I think there was a... I think either he didn't want to do it and they didn't know what to do with it, and I think they thought they'd sort of run out of ideas a bit, and then they came back and Goldeneye was the big... Big return with the uh, what's it? That's say, always been the problem years. with Bond movies, wasn't it? That is that they felt you know they, they had to try and create a bridge between Roger Moore's Bond, which was camp, crazy, womanizing, stupid schlock by the end, yeah, and yeah. modernizing it in some way. You know, thankfully we got to the Bond we've got most recently, which is a Bond I, I really like in Casino more than most of the other films he did. I have to say, but I still like it. 
But I think this bond was a really good bridging bond. It's a pity that it led to the kind of bond that it did because I really liked Timothy Dalton. I like the bond that came less afterwards. Although mm-hmm. I can sort of see Pierce Brosnan's, is it, it is Pierce Brosnan after that, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? And I like Pierce Brosnan's bond, but he was very Roger Moore. He was basically going back to Roger Moore. So it was, they played it safe. It's only when they decided to take a chance and sort of go down a newer Bond route with the remake of, I say remake, but the relaunch of, of Casino that you started to see a better, more classic style Bond. And I think the newer Bond plays it like Timothy Dalton would have. I think so as well. Bit. It's, a bit more, it's a bit more chunky and a bit more physical. There's a physicalness yeah. to him. Whereas Pierce Brosnan is very much like early Roger Moore. That sort of exactly. suave, slim, tall. Oh, it's stupid. And BMWs, I mean, come on. Bond is an Aston Martin guy, always has been, always will be. You give Pierce Brosnan BMWs, you're just stupid and it's not the same thing. Get out of here. <laughs> there you go. We'll probably get to living in a box. Living in a box. No, what we're on about. License to kill. <laughs> we'll be getting living in a box James as well. License Bond, to kill at some living point. Living in a box. And we'll, we'll discuss it then because I'll probably watch <laughs> hey, it again. Uh, hey. 11th of June, in at number 42, is Looking for a Love by Joyce <laughs> Sims. That's a weird yeah. title, isn't it? Looking for love. No, it's looking for a love. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's, yeah, it's a bit odd. A, <laughs> What's the A, a doing style? there? I don't know. Is it the start of a list and she just got bored? Looking for A, love, B, good B. times, <laughs> C, huggable, D. Uh, I don't know. It just sounds like loads of other early to mid-90s output. Yeah. Derivative, over-the-rhythmic, bubble bass. Bullshit. Not for me. <laughs> Not for me either. Was number 50 for you though, Graham? This was Tears by Frankie Knuckles presents oh, Satoshi Tomi. It's a bit of a house classic, this. A bit of a legendary house track, so you have to be very careful. Say this house track in hushed tones. Oh, okay. Um, massive funk house, soul house classic. Hugely influential in terms of UK garage and loads more. It's a bit of a blinding track. It is good. Um, but, you know, just, you know, that, I'm not going to say any more about it in case I upset somebody because nah. it is very revered. I'll take your word for it. In at number 56 is Satisfied by Richard Marks. Uh, I don't like the name <laughs> of that. Uh, is, as you've rightly noted, his hair is taking over his head. And as you know, I've, he's clearly aiming for part of the meatball gang. I've posted a picture there as proof. Yeah, his hair is is just, there's the meatball thing, isn't there? <laughs> so, you know, we've we've noticed it. We've I'd never noticed it before we did this podcast, but when we come to look at the music and we look at some of these bands, there is a definite meatball <laughs> thing. Ray Bentos meatballs. Exactly. The hair is being replaced by, I think the, the actual people are being replaced by meatball people. Um, his hair is just a mass, a meatball mass. Um, and it's, it just, it, it doesn't move. It's like, it's a solid mass. He's got, it's a face with hair attached. It's weird. It's very weird. It's very odd. I mean, you think about it, right? I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know what? Maybe it worked in the music industry, but just you know, take that hairstyle and that kind of way the face is positioned, which is about three inches below the hair. So take the meatball hairdo, place that into horror movie context. Can you imagine you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre with, with Leatherface, but he's actually meatball head? <laughs> or but Hellraiser? It's, well, it's, it's, it's what was that one with the uh, thing that was on the back of the head? Not, is it Fiend Without a Face? Fiend Without a Face, yeah. yeah we've got the, but just meatballs. If you replace some of those you know, meatballs, Jason Voorhees, a hockey mask on a meatball. <laughs> Freddy Krueger. Yeah. <laughs> Nightmare exactly. on Elm Street Barbers. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's just weird. It's just, it kind of, and it's so much of it as well. It's everywhere. The meatballs have taken over. It's like uh, the pods <laughs> from uh, that movie where the pods take over. It's pods, the pods. <laughs> the invasion of the pods. Invasion of the meatball snatchers. They called it the pods that took over the people. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's what they are, pods. <laughs> Bloody meatball oh, pods. It's been made on time. Invasion of body snatchers, for God's sake, man. Yep, you're going to go to sleep tonight when, you, when you're going to wake up halfway through the night and then when you wake up, there's going to be a meatball version of you on the floor going... To be fair, <laughs> I mean, I was... If you think about, if you think about my hair... In the late 80s or early 90s, sort of thing, I was very close to succumbing to the meatball. Are you sure you're not a meatball? <laughs> I, I grew out I mean, of I'm, it. I'm absolutely certain I'm not. I have no hair. So <laughs> you have no hair, no. I'm de meatballed. No, I'm just pure steak now. But Gary, <laughs> Gary, he, in the 80s, in the 80s and early 90s, he was meatball, wasn't he? We, we used to call it his afro, but he had a meatball. We didn't realize it now, but he'd been taken over. He was he a had. pod. He he'd was been, a pod person. He'd been bald. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he had. <laughs> Explains his love of brown things and especially brown sauce. Let's move on quickly. Um, number 57 is Children of the Revolution by Baby Ford. Uh, house again. Bit yeah. of acid house in there, bit of sample house. Can't like the KLF anymore, I suppose, in Egypt. Probably all gibberish, really, that, but you know, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, you're just saying words. You could be making all this rubbish up. I won't know. <laughs> what you're not making up, though, is at number 63, as predicted by the shaky... I want to have some fun by Samantha you call, Fox. Well, Shaky called it, but you called it last time. We knew. We, we've we've now we know now. We know we know there's an association. There's a link yeah. between Samantha Fox's releases and Shaking Stevens. We know this is proof. We know we, it was a theory before. This is bloody proof. There you we go. Proved it in tests. <laughs> we spotted it. We spotted it. We and you did. can't unspot it now. You can't. And this is a particularly particularly crap <laughs> Sam Fox it's release. Terrible. This it's is so dreadful. Bad. So bad. I mean, we asked her to stop like three songs ago, I think, maybe even more than that. I can't believe she went on this long. I honestly can't believe they were still releasing <laughs> singles. I, I, To be fair, we're at number 63, so and I don't think it's going to go much higher. No, no, I don't think but it is. This is so dreadful. And I mean, it's leaning on the house sound, which, which she did in the last song, if you remember, mm. which I think was called Sam in the House or something crap. Um, it's trying <laughs> to land a kind of quasi-Madonna vibe because it's got kind of her talking a lot. But also, it's linking into a little bit, little bit of that kind of um, buffalo stance, uh, Nana Cherry's type vocal, okay. where she goes, yeah, "What go you like?" So, you know that kind of yeah. thing. So it's a little bit of that in there. But she's essentially trying to rap, and I'm using that term very loosely over Royal House's "Girl I'll House You." So it's did girl I'll house you did it. It's that in the background all the way through. So she's just sort of got you know crap dancers, and they are crap doing crappy shit. With her dancing crappily, with crapness going on, it's not, but I've tried to, you know, you tried to I've be tried positive. to, you tried to I be have positive. tried I've to reverse that. my thinking. I, I yeah. have because I thought, you know what? You know, credit. I said credit to you. That is. She's in the machine. She's you know the machine is plugged into like the matrix. She she's not fully in control. The matrix is in control. What are the positives that have come out of this experience? And do Will watch the video, us? people who listen to the podcast. So, firstly. You have to admire Sam Fox's commitment to denim in that video. <laughs> Double denim. <laughs> She's like denim to the max. <laughs> I mean, this denim shirt, this denim trousers, this, I'm sure she's got denim, I, you know, the contact De- lenses in. Denim pants, denim, denim pants. Denim knickers. She's in, she is fully denimed to the max. Yep. It's also curious that she changes to the sound of an American woman's voice halfway through. Yeah, So it's curious. I'm not sure why she does that, but it, it happens. We'll just go with it. A dance moves are a clear demonstration of why denim was never the dancer's <laughs> choice of uh, of clothing, as it goes. Oh, the chafing. She, I mean, she handles it pretty well. She smiles and she's laughing, but you know that those those denim those denim jeans are pinching in places that she doesn't want to be pinched. <laughs> no. um, you know, she had she had you know, pinch marks. A dedication, by the way, to the straight fringe 
I guess you'd call it bowl cut is admirable as well. Yeah. That fringe is so straight, you know, right across the straightness of her, of her face. But that's, was it the Sam Fox do? I don't know. And also, did you notice, by the way, she's dancing on a drain cover I did. throughout the whole of the video, which is dangerous. That is on the edge because that yeah. thing could go through any time. <laughs> she's going to be quite badly injured out of that, I know. And mm-hmm. it's just like, of all the places you choose, your lead dancer and singer to do a video, a, music video, would not be on a drain cover, which it clearly is. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, you know, penultimately, she dresses like a cross between Michael Jackson and an Undertaker's dummy at a certain <laughs> point, which is, I suppose, interesting. I want to call it interesting. Uh, but the bad fashion choices show, you know, in the majority, a strong penchant for uh, obtuse, rubberized, fetish-style corsets and circulation-destroying pants. Because at one point, she's in pants that are, are shorts that are so tight that it's a wonder that her legs aren't blue because there's no blood in her. They just don't collapse. But that is niche. That's niche. She's trying to make her legs look like denim. <laughs> she do have to try that hard. You know, I'm pretty sure her skin by now is denim. Um, <laughs> but like Shakey's though, and that's the, I was thinking about this, is the, the denim link. Because we've said before that Shakey <laughs> Stevens was, you know, all about the denim. We've said it before. You know, he's the denim yeah. guy. We even said that his body is completely denim and he just, the flesh bits that you see are actually, you know, that's that's just pink denim, which is probably the title of his last album, I hope. Um, but Sam Fox is also pink denim, but she's the other side of pink denim. Um, so maybe that's the, her fragrance. I don't know. But, yeah. um, either way. <laughs> Available at all good, good Asda's near you. <laughs> anyway, that's my, my thoughts. That's my two pennies with good old Sam Fox. Oh, it's, uh, maybe it's the last one. I hope it is, but we'll know because if there's another shaky song, we'll know. We'll know that there's a sandbox we'll song coming down the line. It will. Is, you know, there you go. Uh, and at number 73 is, yeah, One for the Mums, Wind Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler. Uh, no. Because we had Beaches the other week, didn't beaches we? Beaches last week, yeah, yeah. And finally, in at number 96, Better, no, not finally, but this, uh, this day, number 96, Better Days by Gun. Mm, mm, not sure they were a bit late to their own party, really, but. Um, they were going for quite a while because I, I noticed, and I don't know if yeah, you remember yeah. this, but they had the they had a big hit in nineteen ninety four with their cover of "Word Up" by Cameo, which is actually yeah, a pretty yeah, good cover, it. quite good. I like that ending bit where it's W O R. It's like so it's, it's a decent cover. Yeah, is what it is of, of its time, but they were still going around by that time. They sort of yeah, yeah. jettisoned their sort of rocky looks and gone for a bit more. They reminded me a bit of uh, that other band who um, wet wet wet. No, not knee neck. Who were big in big in America, but completely not big here as well. You so too. No, they were. Like Nirvana, the sort of a British version. Um, they did um, okay. Swallow. Swallow. Oh, feeder? No, I, I can't remember that. I'll, it'll come to me. Um, but, but that gun, similarish. Anyway, 18th of June. Let's move along from gun. Uh, bat Dance in at number three by Prince. There it is. Yeah, yeah. The actual official Bat Dance. Bat what, Dance. What a weird, weird track. It's yeah, it so is a bit odd. Weird. Yep. It's a track I, of two halves for a start. It's, it's a track of 12 twelfths. Well, it's because it, it, the first half is a complete mad metal mix of God knows what, sample fusion. And the second half's a really funky, oversampled sort of, it's a funk track. And you know, James Brown kind of funk track. Yeah. So it's it's really strange. It's from the moment that it cuts into the Vicky Vale bit and it just goes sample yeah. madness. Well, because the first half of it is sampled from the old Batman. And then yeah. the, fir- the second half is sampled from the new Batman. I'm guessing there's, there's some kind of, they're making some point about the transition from one thing to another. I, I didn't get it. I didn't. It doesn't it, work. Because like those Joker and Batman dancers, they're just weird. They're just odd. And like they seem yeah. really, really kitschy and like a weird nod to the 60s style stuff, which I, yes. at this point, I mean, when I, when, if I was Tim Burton and probably having some control over the visual look of sort of stuff around that Batman film, that is not the video I would want. But like, no. what the hell is this? We've completely no. tried to jettison any kind of connection between the, the kitsch 
you know, camp 1960s Batman, which was the prevalent Batman and still in people's heads by this point. And we've gone for this dark, gothic, noir look. And then, yeah. they, get, and then they get this. It's so well, weird. I think, I think they have for Batman, but I think they struggled with the Joker character because the way that Jack Nicholson plays the Joker is still similar to the original Joker characters, not as, you know, silly, but it is still, it, it still has leanings that way. The colour scheme's the same, the purples and the greens yeah, the, is still I mean, very the purples much... And the, but that's from but the comics, think, isn't it? So Yeah, yeah, but it, but he's still kind of leaning. That's what I mean. He's nothing like the comic Joker. He's very much like the Joker from the 60s TV series. Yeah, maybe. maybe. But, but I think Batman the, isn't completely, he's completely different Batman. Yeah, and the whole look of the film is really dark and... Yeah, yeah, it is, but you'd never get that from this, and I think that's where this this meant. I think they're meant to be this interplay with it, but it, it doesn't come across that way. It's not no. a great song, um, and of course, later, of course, we get the much better version of Joker with you know a kind of okay Batman, but the much better version of Joker is obviously you know in Heath Ledger. What do you call it in Heath Ledger's Joker? So yeah, that right. Mm. Hi, um, number five is "All I Want Is You" by U two. That's probably the best U2 track we've heard in a while because off rattling on in it. It's not bad, actually, that one. Yeah, I thought this was quite good. It sounds like classic U2 to my ears. Yes, yeah. It's more like U2 that you remember than pretentious, stupid. Now, I'm going to sing with Placido Domingo and, and while I'm singing, I'm going <laughs> to hold an egg. <laughs> and go, lemon. A lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and at number 27 is Atomic City by Holly Johnson. It's a very funky track, I have to say. Yeah. Very funky, but not my thing. Nah, not one of my particular faves of that album. Uh... Number 35, though, is Fight the Power by Public Enemy. Fight the Power, that'd be, yeah. The Brown Saucer was heavily into this. Um, I didn't realise it had such a tie-in with Spike Lee and around Do the Right Thing. It's not a film, and he's not a director I follow massively, I have to say, and that's just because they just, I just, I'm not necessarily into that kind of stuff. I'm not saying they're a bad director, because I'm sure he's amazing. But Oh, he's a very good director. Um, but I'm just not quite into that kind of, at least at this point, not into those kind of films. Um, but this is a good track by Public Enemy. Um, so, and the I mean, I was, kind of I, I, I mean, my knowledge of this, I thought this was the seminal Public Enemy song. I thought this was when I think of Public Enemy. Someone says Public Enemy, I think of Fight the Power. Um, it's just I, whatever you know from discussing it. One I will yeah, always think of. I don't. I, can't. I think of I, the album that came before this is their big thing, but this, this is the track that came out later. Right. So, okay, I don't know whether it was because of it being linked to do the right thing, but I, yeah, I just remember yeah, Fight the Power. Fight well, it got power. a lot of airplay. In all fairness, yeah. this did get a lot more airplay than some of the you know straight out of you know Compton and all that stuff that yeah. they did and all. Yeah, that yeah Gar- Gary would know more than we would, but just from my point of view, as just that. But I would say though, in this video, that Flavor Flay's clocks. Just off the chart in this video. Well, he went crazy with it. He did go crazy with that. And because Gary modeled his clothing and his clocks <laughs> on Flavor Flay for a while, he used to come around and he'd all, he was always wearing the clocks, wasn't he? He, he was, he was massive. He was massively clocked up. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he had that picture of Big Ben, which he wore for about a month in that frame, that picture <laughs> frame, which was weird because he didn't even tell the time. It was just a picture of. We tried to, that, you know, we tried to true. educate him, but yeah, he wouldn't have it. He wouldn't yeah. have it. He said it's right twice a day. And I suppose he's right technically, but it was weird. Yeah. Yeah, and he wore just well that big Ben mask. Really odd trying to yeah, talk he to had him. Yeah, that pointy hat. Yeah, he had that as well. Yeah, <laughs> just really weird. Uh, in at number forty-one is Grandpa's Party by Moni Love. Yeah, hip house stuff. Not for me, this, but very you know people like Moni Love for its hip house vibes. Number seventy-one was One by the Bee Gees. Mm. I found this very dull. It is very. a remake of Jive Talking, slowed down, but it sounds like Jive Talking by then. Yeah. Which Boring. Is fair enough, they wrote that so they can do what they want with it. But Well, they can do, yeah. I don't blame them, but it's dull. Uh, 25th of June, and at number 13 is Breakthrough by Queen. <laughs> Video on a train, isn't it? Diddle, 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 yeah. diddle, 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 diddle. I, it's got a good chorus, this. I will yeah, try yeah. to break through. Da, da, da. But I hate the bass sound. 
hate it. I just can't stand the bass sound in this song. It's, yeah. It's like, it's just, it's like, oh, it's just horrible. It's horrible. Well, that, that and I, I always get the feeling whenever I listen to it, and I listen back to it for this, obviously, it sounds like Days of Summer. It's yes, just, it does. there's a yeah. similarity. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and, I, and I can't shake it. Um, and it can't be accidental because Queen didn't do accidents. So no. I don't know. It just, at this point, this is their penultimate, off their penultimate album. Innuendo is a very good album. So um, I'm just, it's all right. It's all right. Like you said, you said it last time. They're a singles band. And this was a good single. So. Mm. Uh, and at number 19 was London Nights by the London Boys. London Nights, when the party nights and the fever <laughs> drives you wild. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we've spoken about these already. They came to a very tragic end. Yeah, Gary mentioned it, didn't he? That they horribly, you know, they died in a car crash and stuff. Sad, very tragic, very tragic. Yeah. No, that's not good for anyone. I don't mean, I'm not a big fan of the music, but it's no one needs to no, die like they, that. They were horrible. very young when they went as well. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, and at number 22 is Patience by Guns N' Roses. It's a good track. I'll give him that. Goodness. <laughs> it's whistly, whistly. It is, it's, it's, it is it's very whistly. It reminds me of the Scorpions. It is. Oh, no. Did you, by the way, did you know, Did you hear that um, Roger Whittaker had died? So, no. Roger Whittaker's that famous for his whistling. Oh, he is, yes. Um, yeah. And he did Speed, Bonnie Boat, but he didn't sing it. He whistled it, but um, <laughs> he died, sadly. But that's, you know, just thinking of whistling. But it's, it, you know, Guns N' Roses, all right, Patience is a good track by them. Fair, right. fair play, fair play. Number 51 is Under the God by Tin Machine. No. <laughs> just, I had to listen to this. It's just all so misjudged. It's, it's, it's rubbish. just all over the place. It just, I what? Don't, I don't just, get it. No, what? I don't get it. It, got, um, it, uh, it, it was a, Bowie being involved with Tin Machine was a foot in the door, every uh, A&R person across the land. That's all it was. Yeah, probably. If you want to get a foot in the door, mention that you've got Bowie in the band and he's going to be like, oh, it's David Bowie, it must be something funky. It was rubbish. Even he knew it, really. Yeah. I think under in his heart, he knew that it was crap. Yeah. Number 54, Here Comes Your Man by the Pixies. Yeah, do, do, bit do, of a classic, isn't it? Yeah. Stand at the place that you were. Reminds me of that. Every time <laughs> no, I hear it. it. Uh, maybe. It's very similar. Um, I mean, maybe. I mean, Stan came later, didn't it? Yeah, it's, it sounds um, like. But they like say yeah. they're influential, so it probably is. Probably is, yeah. Um, yeah, we track. used to listen to this. I used to hear this a lot when we used to go out. All the time in the barge and bloody Gulliver's, they played that yeah. all the time. Always a good one. Uh, strangely, this was earlier than I thought. Number 77 is Sit Down by James. It threw me that, because I, I was, was, I was thinking that was way later than that. Yeah, but remember, we're into mid-'89, Manchester is, is certainly a thing by now. We've had Stone Roses yeah. albums and stuff. and Sing yourself to sleep. Nah, nah, nah. I mean, yeah. it's not a terrible song. It's a very good song, but it, it was ruined by assholes on the dance floor. It was. It was they used to sit ruined. down. They used to sit <laughs> down up. when it played. They used to sit down. Yeah, exactly. I used to kick them. No, you I'm, did, an ang- I'm an angry <laughs> ministry prodigy fan. Don't <laughs> you, sit down on a dance floor near me. I used to go and kick him because you had big boots as well. <laughs> I was a big guy, you know. I was the I had the kind of the I had I had the kind of demeanor that said don't f- with him because he is likely but, to kill you. But I'm, I'm actually friendly. But you had a good apologetic face. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, sorry, but I did mean to do it really. So if I st- <laughs> if I stood on you or kick you when you were in Gulliver's and you remember that, I meant it. <laughs> Yeah. but uh it's a good song but uh yeah it seems to be associated with people with dogs on strings and ones who sat down <laughs> dogs on strings crusties as you've called them here is that the name from official name of crusty yeah um, i think so crusty the clown was one of them was he um <laughs> yeah. by the way um i don't like this song by james but james later did a really great album and a really good track on that which is um 
um, tomorrow, which is a great track by them with the Brian Brian oh, yeah, Eno yeah. got involved with them at some point and it all went. She's really a cool, star so. tomorrow. That's a really good album. Yeah, 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 Lady's yeah, also yeah, very yeah. good as well. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, you know, Brian Eno was, I think, production on that. He certainly played keyboards on it. So very cool. Mm, yeah. Yeah, James were a good band. They kind of got lumped in with the uh, sort of Manchester stuff, but they were never really part of it. They were going for ages before this and they've been going for ages after it. They're just a band who did their own thing. By just... the way, if you say the words Brian Eno three times, he appears. Oh, don't say it then. If you know that. Well, it's too late. He's here now. All right, Brian. <laughs> Do you want to join <laughs> since, in as a guest? I've got a couple of synths downstairs if you want to. He's just looking at me blank and eating a, a, a small, very really small piece of pizza. It's like, I didn't even know where he got that from. Anyway, I'm surprised, you know, because if, likewise, <laughs> if you say it to. too many times, Gary gets very excited to the point when, you know, he, he spills his brown sauce. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> he starts fidgeting. He likes, he likes the Eno, he does. He's a bit of an Eno man. <laughs> he starts fidgeting and frothing at the ears. He does, yeah. Things froth. <laughs> and that's all I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, I've, and he needs to sit down. Number 87, finally for the last single, is Bambolero. By the Gypsy Kings. Yeah. A good old catchy tune from our French Spaniard friends. Indeed, yes. French, French Spanish friends. Uh, going on to albums, 4th of June. In at number three was The Other Side of the Mirror by Stevie Nicks. Well, we said last time, I'm not a fan of Stevie Nicks particularly, but... I had a bit of a listen to this earlier on. It's all right, I suppose. If yeah. it's, just, it's just not my favourite, but it's okay. Um, yeah. We're probably going to rattle through most of these. Number 13, Avalon Sunset by Van Morrison. No, no. <laughs> oh, oh, that, that you've linked. Is, is this when the Saints go marching in on this album? The because Van I Morrison, was, yes. I was laughing a lot listening to this earlier on. It, it, Van, Van Morrison's version. <laughs> it, Van Morrison's version is when the Saints go marching. It's actually that song. <laughs> when, oh, when the Saints go marching in. It's that. It, yeah. then, it, well, it's it's because... I listen to that and I immediately hear, I'm going to get you, sucker, when there's a woman on stage singing When the Saints Go Marching. And I'm pretty sure that must be a like an, a, an homage or something to that because it sounds very similar. It really does. And I didn't realise that. I didn't know there was a version by Van Morrison of that. I always thought that I'm going to get you, sucker, was just a mad, mad piss take of somebody stood <laughs> down on stage singing. It's but... but very, very, very funny. <laughs> yeah. I was laughing at that. I was. Oh, When uh... the Saints Go Marching In. <laughs> So good. Uh, uh, number 36 <laughs> is Nine. Nine. By Public Image mm. Limited or Pill. Ninth album as well. I guess that's why yeah. they called it Nine. I guess that's why they called it Nine. Yeah. I guess that's why uh, they called it The Truth. I um, never have liked Public Image Limited ever. No, I've only liked a couple of their tracks. And they're the tracks that everyone knows. Well, know. Open up. Open yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I hate that as well. So. Oh, well. 11th of June. In at number two is Raw Like Sushi by Naina Cherry. Uh, it's got Buffalo Stance on that. I'm sure it has. It was a big single, what are wasn't you it? Like? I remember Gary said he really fancied Nana Cherry. Yeah, well, that's Gary for you. Uh, and at number three was Flowers in the Dirt by Paul McCartney. Yeah, eighth um, album. We mentioned that, didn't we? We said, you know, it's got some rubbish stuff on yeah. it. Yeah, we didn't really talk much about it. We just said he had a wobblehead. Um, he has got a wobblehead. That's all you yeah. need to know. It did earn McCartney some of his best reviews for an album, original song since Tug of War. Yeah. Which was 1982. That's got Pipes of Peace on it and all that, hasn't it, I think? That's the first album I ever bought. What, with Pipes of Peace on it? No, Pipes of Peace was the album. Ah, it took a while then. I don't know, it was the one before it, I guess. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I don't know, I can't remember. I know I bought the album with Pipes of Peace on, because I like that song. Mm. Um, In at number 29 is Passion by Peter Gabriel. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? The soundtrack to Last Temptation of the Christ, but he just carried on writing stuff and released it later. Yeah, a bit weird. Um, several months after the film's release as well. Um, So it became a fully-fledged album instead of a soundtrack. Odd. 
Yeah. Odd, odd. And The Last Temptation of Christ is not a film I've watched more than once ever. So I might have to rewatch that and see what it's like. Is that a Scorsese one? It is, yeah. It is a Scorsese film, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Who plays Christ in it? I don't know. Is it Willem Dafoe? Quite possibly, but you'd need to Google it because it's a long time since I even had any thoughts about it. So I want to say it's Willem Dafoe, but I could be wrong. I'll have a look in a minute. Well, up next is a, is a double bill. Uh, and at number 36 is Goya, A Life in Song by Placido Domingo. Hmm. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what. What is this? I don't know. Uh, it's a <laughs> musical theatre work with music and lyrics by American composer Maury Yeston. Um, so concept that's album. That's what it is. Yeah, it's a concept album with Placido Domingo singing on it. Essentially, there you go. And then at number thirty-seven is the Essential Domingo by Placido Domingo. Very busy guy. There's, there's about a million tracks on that album. It <laughs> can't be stopped. No. Well, it's a, it's a it's a Domingo double, the Domingo double, um, <laughs> as they call it in Spain. Is that exactly what they call it, is it? It is. Do you know what Placido <laughs> Domingo actually translates to? Uh, go on. Placid Domain. All oh, right, okay. That's his name. Yeah. Placid Domain. Placid oh. Domain, that's his name. It's nice. Mm. Number 39 <laughs> is World in Motion by Jackson Brown. Now, I th- when I first saw this, I thought this was the um, New Order single. Um, remember the New Order single, World in Motion? Oh, I remember it now, yeah. But it's is not that, that the same one. No, no, it's not. not because World in Motion was the crap one with the uh, John Barnes rap, um, if you remember that. <laughs> oh, God, you've got a doobidi-da with one. all the dibidi, do you? Yeah, yeah, but that's nothing to do with this. This is the ninth album by American singer-songwriter Jackson Brown. Okay. Um, the album took three years to complete and makes statements about nuclear disarmament and the secret government that brought forth Oliver North in <laughs> the Iran-Contra scandal. Yeah, you don't get that from the album track that I found, which was World in Motion. I didn't get that from that, but it is quite okay, I suppose. The chorus in this reminded me of an era. I think it was an Aerosmith song. Yeah, I couldn't tell you which one, but I get, I got that when you said that. I was like, actually, yeah, there is the vibe of that. There's, there's the sort, sort um, of four notes of sort of start of the chorus in this. I'd have to listen to it again. Yeah, um, it might be. Um, I can't. It came. Yeah, I, yeah, there is, there is that. I totally get that. Yeah, and at number forty-five is uh, "Look Sharp" by Roxette. Yeah, we talked about these a fair bit over the past few weeks because the singles were all landing, weren't they? The look yeah. and all that. They were a very popular band, very good. Sweden has got a great knack for pumping out amazing bands and amazing singers and vocalists. You know, we've got these, ABBA, hundreds of others, you know, you, you can insert all the ones you like, plus Ghost, of course. All very good. All very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it is good. Um, good album, I was never a massive fan of, uh, was never a massive fan of Roxette, but they did some good, good catchy singles. Yeah. Huge hit in the US, that, so very yeah. good. Uh, number 48 is The Songs That Got Away by Sarah Brightman. I just wish they had got away. (laughs) Not everyone's cup of tea. She's an English soprano. Yeah. Of course, Andrew Lloyd Webber. She was married, I think, to Andrew Lloyd Webber, wasn't she? So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, not for everybody that. But Sarah Brightman, of course, was... um, She didn't Sarah Brightman that did, I fell in love with the starship trooper. Quite possibly. Maybe. so. Don't know. Uh, In at number 67 is Transophobia by Mega City 4. Mm. Four, not going on there. Yeah, Mega City 4, one of my favourite bands. Um, they were, yes, you were them. very into these. I was very much so. Uh, they were just to sort of preamble. They're an English indie rock band formed in Farnborough. There was uh, sort of classic four piece, two guitars, vocals, drums, and bass. Uh, Wiz was on vocals and the guitar, rhythm guitarist, his brother, and they were just great. They were just ace. Um, and they, over the period of four albums, they sort of transformed their sound a little bit. They sort of started off, and this is quite a punky, punky album. It's quite punky. It's quite sort of thrashy. Um, but it's got his ability, Wiz's ability, who was the main songwriter and lyricist, mm-hmm. to not just sort of, you know, punky three chord 
punky stuff. The songs are actually well well produced, well put together, um, and you know there's a there's a real kind of cohesion to the sound and album. It's interesting as well. There's some weird samples on it. There's uh, the album samples as uh, Aliens, uh, Predator, Brimstone, and Treacle um, to good effect on certain certain tracks, um, and it's just really good. And, and the thing was as well was that he had a, a, a really good knack for lyrics. Um, and he was possibly one of my favorite lyricists because he was very much when we started a band, he was very much the person who, whose lyrics influenced me the most to try and write in that style because he just had a knack of sort of talking about stuff that was personal, but kind of universal in a very, very clever way, but didn't feel overreaching or anything. It was just observational, really nice lyrics. And he just, he just had a knack for doing that. And, um, yeah, it was such a because he died um, in uh, 2006 or 2007. He was at a mm. band rehearsal for another band he was in at the time and collapsed and, and died of a uh, That's brain hemorrhage, I think. So, um, And there is actually, since then, I was sort of doing some digging around today and looking around. There's actually a charity to support new music um, in his name. Um, wow. And there's loads of T-shirts you can actually buy on T-Mill um, to sort of support that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, they're just great. If you haven't listened to Mega City Four, they were kind of, kind of a bit in the shadow of, you know, some of the sort of other sort of thrashy pop bands around at the time, like Atomic Dustbin and things like that. But I always thought Mega City Four were just way better. And there's, if you don't like these, try out the third and fourth albums, Sebastopol Road and um, Iron's um, Magic Bullets, which mm. are just really full of great sort of guitar-y pop tunes, but yeah. just just great, just amazing. And I never knew. That Muse were a big fan of these, and they released a cover of their song Prague, which was off Spasbell Road, the B side. Um, and there's oh. a link to it here, and it's bloody awful. Oh. <laughs> Can't get it right every time. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> um, and then I've actually linked to Disturbed, which we covered in our band. We did, yes, we did. Um, which was much better than that version of Prague by Muse. Anyway, there you go. I'll, not, I'll stop talking about Mega City 4. 18th of June, Badlands by Badlands. Uh, I'm already off to a bad start. Yeah, just basically Black Sabbath-y stuff-ish, but no, it sounds exactly like you'd imagine it does. Um, yeah. Some people had previously played the Black Sabbath, guitarists from, and just it just sounds like you'd expect it to. Yes. You know, I wasn't Very into it, and it wasn't into that kind of thing, and it was probably a bit of a one-album wonder, I think. Mm. Number four is Eat Me in St. Louis by It Bites, or St. Louis, sorry. Bloody it Bites. No, again, not... Not my thing, this kind of thing. This was produced by um, Reinhold Mack. That's the guy that produced a lot of Queen stuff. Um, but just, I don't know, it just sounds like there's a, this, this, this sort of stuff's coming to an end. You know, we're starting to get to the point where Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and all those other bands that you've mentioned as well, the, the reaction to the glam metal, the, you know, the hair metal stuff is happening. And it's mm. happening right at this point in time. You know, it's not quite hit the UK yet because... It was still underground and the UK was led by music production mm-hmm. organizations of which there was about five labels. Yeah. So as if the labels decided what was going to be put out in the UK, that's all you heard. But this was this came and beat them because it was not going to be stopped. And this kind of stuff was the reason why, really. This you know, there's so much of it of this type, it starts you know, you start to get a bit like mm. Yeah. So. Absolutely. We've already got the pixies starting that. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like it's already begun, but the yeah. UK was, sl- I think, not slow to do it, but it, it had to come from an underground place, and um, th- th- because the and it still is to some extent, the music industry and the production of it, the mu- production of singles was ruled by several several big, large conglomerate companies from the US. Mm. You know, a lot of this music never even got a look in, did it? So, not no. straight away, anyway. Uh, and at number forty nine is Maria McKee, by Maria McKee. 
call your album something. Um, it's a <laughs> debut album. Um, Washington Post, Joe Brown called the album stunning. It is. It is a very good album. Maria McKee is an incredible vocalist. She's a very um, good vocalist. Uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The album's all right for what it is. I, I, it's, it's good. If you like Maria McKee's sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a track of that we'll put in the show notes, Breathe, which is a good track of that. Um, but there's a, to be fair, if you ever wondered about how good she was at singing, and not that you might, but you know, you might not get it because of the few songs that you may have heard that she became famous for. Obviously, Show Me Heaven was one from um, Days of Thunder, which was the big song from Days of Thunder. Mm. Um, and she sang a live version of that on Top of the Pops in the 90s, early 90s. And um, it, it is an actual live version. So she goes, you know, grabs the mic and sings and mm. everybody who was there. And it's it's one of those famous recording moments. It is absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, it's up she's there good. with a few, there's a few times when it happens in British TV. There's a time, this is one of those times. There's a time when um, um, Adele sang a song live and it was mind blowingly good. Um, on one TV show, another, and there's another one where um, Jesse Su- J sang a su- song as well. Mind I was going to say so. Suzanne Boyle. To, to an extent, and, and less less transformation from sort of crazy kooky person to singer, um, more um, just singers that people had heard, and to just when they did it live, everyone was like, "Wow, they really are actually that good." Yeah. Um, and yeah, Jesse yeah, yeah. J when she did the X Factor, Bev, uh, Be- um, is it Bev Ditto? I think from the, the Gossip. When she sang "Standing in the Way of Control" on Graham Norton, I think it was, or one of those type of shows on Channel Four. I can't remember if it was Graham Norton or not, but it, that that kind of performance when people just sit there and go, "Wow, that that really was something crazy good." Yeah, um, and that's one of them. It's it, we'll put the link in the show notes. Just remember, it's live because yeah, she's yeah, hitting exactly. she's hitting notes there without fault, and you're like, "Holy mother of God, that's pretty good." Um, so yes, uh, in at number fifty one is "Counterfeit" EP by Martin L. Gore. So uh, Mr. Gore, to you and me. Yeah, so this is the uh, primary songwriter for Depeche Mode, releasing an EP of six cover songs, hence the name Counterfeit. Yeah, it's not very good, I'll be honest. It's not It's not the it's best. It's a bit weak. I always found this, I mean, I remember uh, Rush did a, a compilation. It's the one thing they ever did, which is a bit weird. They did something else. Um, I can't remember what it was called. Um but they did a sort of um, sort of small six cover version sort of EP thing, and I was like, because the, the thing was with the Rush thing is like they just sounded exactly like the originals because they're incredibly competent musicians, and you're mm. like, well, you just I, what's the point? But yeah, and this was a bit not the same because it's Martin El Gore, but it, it's just a bit wishy washy, isn't it? It's a bit nothing. Yeah, it's not got. It's not got. Dave, so. He's always been that way. Some of the songs that he does in Depeche Mode are okay. They fit his song, but he's he's not Dave Gahan. He's not. No, no, no. You know, no. he's not, not got Gahan's good. vocal style. I'm trying to be nice about it, but it's not very good. No, it's, it's not. It's kind of empty and a bit productionless and a bit rubbish. Twenty mm. fifth um, of June. Let's just round out the month. Uh, straight in at number one was the Batman uh, OST by Prince. With Spoken yeah, about that already that, quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, in at number nine was A Night to Remember by Cindy Lauper. Aye, good old uh, Cindy there. Not very good, though. Badly received, that album. It yeah, not very, well. not very big commercial success at all. And I never knew she did a cover of I Drove All Night. Um, yeah, which was a single. because they buried it. Big, it. Yeah. No, it was the big single off it. It was well, the, big. Well, it was... It was a single that was released. But the video yeah. for this is really weird. I don't know if you watched the video. Yeah, with the predictions and that. Yeah, yeah she sat there naked, sort of covered up, you know, knees up to her chest and arms around her knees sort of thing. But there's just projections of cars and roads on her, which are just a bit weird. It's a bit... It's, the whole thing was weird, and her voice is weird. It doesn't suit that at all. It's just I didn't think it did either. No, no. no. She had no. one hit, one big hit. Well, maybe two, actually. Yeah, And two. then after that, it's kind of everything else is a bit like, eh. 
Number 18 is Protest Songs by Prefab Sprout. Yes, don't like Let, Prefab Sprout. So. I don't either. Let's not say anything about them. No, um, no. Number 27 is Walking on Sunshine, The Best Of by Eddie Grant. Yeah. Best you of like Eddie Grant. Grant. You'll like a best of, won't you? You would. Uh, in at number 30 is Any Way You Wanna by the Beatmasters. Yeah, I'd rock the house on that. Rock, 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 rock the house is on that one. So good track, uh, good album. But if you like that Beatmasters, you're going to dig it, right? Okay. Uh, in at number 39 is 2300 Jackson Street, 2300 Jackson Street by the Jacksons. Right. Album number 16 for our you know Jackson friends. Um, and their final like Jacksons. one. Maybe you like that one. But yeah, it is their final album. And maybe mm, it's it a good is. thing they stopped because it's not very good. And finally, just to round out the month, in at number 47 is Big Game by White Lion. <laughs> Got this white lion, honestly. <laughs> well, repeat what we said about bands that, that caused an entire rift in the music industry. You know, they'd caused a, caused a schism, and the schism was the coming to hit them hard with Nirvana and all the other bands. So, and this um, is an example of why. So, you know. <laughs> that picture is an example of why. <laughs> there's no exactly. There's, there's no need for that outfit in 1989. He's wearing a jacket of madness and yellow. What well, I think a spandex or leather pants with just targets on them it's just it's just ridiculous it's rubbish i mean they'd obviously someone had said to them because they've got a really good guitarist in the band fair enough and the singer clearly is starting to imitate david lee roth badly in that so they've obviously gone you know very what? much so because yeah. van halen have gone down the road of having sammy hagar at this point people still want to hear that van halen sound with david lee roth this band are doing a kind of cover version cover band imitation of van halen at that point yeah. okay and um, and that's exactly how it sounds so if and if you like that kind of you know david lee roth van halen and i do massively um you might like it, but I just I, I find it just you know derivative. I've, there's Van Halen who do Van Halen. They don't need another kind of crappy version. No. And his pants are stupid. Yeah, um, as I said, it reminds me of White Spirit with Tempton Flex. That is Tempton Flex, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> massively, he is Tempton um, Flex. Yeah. White Spirit, as I our... imagine him. Yeah. yeah, no one should wear yellow those... trousers. No one. White Spirit was our made-up um, metal fictional metal band we came up with. It was. Yeah, in what the was early the, name of the band members? We had Tempton Flex. We there had... was Tempton Flex. I think there was. Uh, Crusty Rhythms on drums or something. Crusty, Lovey Craves It, was it? Or something like that. I can't remember now. But. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, it's <laughs> a dreadful thing. Anyway, there we go. That's your music. There's a yeah. lot of music. Um, we're going to go away, take a quick break. And we'll be back. We still have three more games to get through. Um, and they are an interesting bunch of games, I can tell you that. So uh, please do keep listening. And we are back for the final part for this week. Three more games still to get through. And they are, well, they're interesting. Let's say that. Graham, over to you for the first one. And that first one is Xenon. Xenon. 9 99 pence. 70%. Okay. This was published by Melbourne House. Mm. Um, conversion, conversion being the operative word, was by MC Loth Lorian, which sounds like a really big, Scottish DJ from the 90s, but it probably wasn't. <laughs> this was coded by Chris Caress, good name. He did Bosconian, which was a game that was never in Zap, so I don't know if we'll ever have looked at that, but it was back in 1988, I think. I don't know, pretty sure, but anyway. Mm, no, we didn't. No. Chris Caress is a good name. It's, he also sounds like a DJ. This sounds like a DJ lineup. Well, MC Lothlorien, Chris Caress, and Bomber Anderson sounds like three DJs from 1996 <laughs> who were playing a nightclub in Derby, and I, I would have gone to see them. You would have. You know, I would. I would. I would have been there. Yeah, absolutely, would have been there. 
So, and the musician was Paul Tong, not Pete Tong, Paul Tong. That's his <laughs> is brother. Really? Yeah. Have a look. Oh, it is as well. <laughs> yeah, he was later responsible for the C64 music for NARC and a game called Pang. Oh, Pang's so, great. Yeah, so Pang's what a DJ game, line we've Good got. Game, we've got Paul Tong, Bomber Anderson coming up later on tonight, Chris <laughs> Caress and MC Lothlorian in the house. <laughs> Very good. Um, okay, so this is technically, I suppose you could say this. This, this is not technically. It is a bit Matt Brothers game at heart. Not this version mm-hmm. so much, but the actual game of Xenon uh, <laughs> was a 16-bit game, um, and it was their first big game as well that kind of put them on the map, wasn't it? Huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was originally the release for the Atari ST, and Xenon was then quickly ported to other platforms: the Amiga, the Amstrad, Commodore 64, DOS. MSX and ZX Spectrum, an arcade version which used Amiga hardware, which was called the Mastertronic Arcadia, was also out there. So Xenon was an arcade as well. Well, that was apparently it was an arcade machine that had 10 games on it. And if this was one of those things, mm. anyway, just to give you a little rundown from the back of the box kind of cover type thing, it says on the, uh, on the box, from the moment that Captain Zod's face appeared out of the static on the communicator, you knew he was in trouble. As the only other Federation ship in the sector, you had to go to his aid. You need to fight your way through 16 zones, collecting essential supplies for the fleet. At the end of each sector, you have a chance to refuel and restock, but only after you have defeated the most vicious aliens you have ever seen. A strategic, strategic, <laughs> uh, vertically controlling shoot 'em up, you have the option of swapping between two very different craft to suit the challenge facing you at the time either a ground-based saucer or a well-armed and a faster fighter aircraft. A fast-moving, thinking man's shoot-em-up features extra weapons and defences that appear throughout the game. Digitised effects and speech on the Atari ST and Amiga, stunning graphics. I'm guessing that's also the Atari ST and Amiga. (laughs) Thoroughly addictive (laughs) gameplay. It said 16-bit C and VG game of the month. Sinclair user classic. Your Sinclair mega game. Commodore 64 rating, egg of the dog. Um, so we'll go, uh, so that, that's not official. That's I just added that on there. So uh, this is a D port of the ST, Amiga, Amiga, AK, whatever you want to call it for the C64. You start things with the fire button when it when it kicks off. This is obviously, since this is a vertical shoot 'em up of sorts, you begin on the ground as the ground vehicle. And the screen scrolls up when you reach midway. It scrolls slowly and reveals a lot of grey heavy base relief enemies and turrets that shoot at you. And pressing mm-hmm. the space bar changes you between your ground-based saucer or your fighter aircraft. Each has their benefits, if you can call on that. The ground-based one can shoot and move in eight directions, but only shoot ground-based objects, of course. Your flying fighter can seemingly shoot more enemies, but only upwards, of course. And there are some ground items you cannot shoot if you're in the aircraft, and so on and so forth. Shooting some of the enemies will reveal a letter token, which you can collect to add upgrades to either craft. Some of the upgrades are only applicable to certain craft. You won't know which, but uh, it is in the instructions and it does tell you, just in case okay. you were wondering. The screen will either auto-scroll if you are flying or push-scroll if you're on the ground. Gradually, you will work your way to the level until you get to a larger boss or enemy flying ship type deal. Okay. The game mm-hmm. window, the main game window, is three quarters of the screen on left-hand side is the main game window, and the right-hand quarter is a UI column with the score, the ammo, shield, status, sector, the usual kind of things that you find in those kind of columns. It's all in shades of grey, which is supposed meant to be like silver, which probably is silvery looking on a machine with more colours, but it looks kind of grey on the C64. A bit bitty, I suppose, but I suppose it's okay, just what it does. Scrolling works okay. It's not. There's no raster bugs that I saw, but the graphics in the main are a combination of hardware sprites and character graphics, which quickly look blocky, dull, 
And also they have these kind of weird outline things that appear at certain times, which is a little bit crap. There's a tiled floor in a kind of blue color, um, but the mainstay of the graphics color of the display is grays with black outlines and some kind of blue and white highlights. It's a bit drab on the eye and very similar looking all the way through. Mm-hmm. Not how the Atari ST and Amiga one looks at all. At all. I guess that's the compromise. Your Grandcraft is a fairly badly realized blocky sprite. And I have to say that because in the C64 world, this is blocky. And when we've had games that have had really nice looking single sprites and a bit of shading, even on CRT, this would be blocky. And that tells you that it's pretty blocky, right? It's like that. Blocky. But the trouble is here, of course, as well, that I suppose that you could say that the fighter ship is marginally better and they move okay. The control's responsive maybe, but the graphics start to blend into each other. So the background and the sprites are all kind of gray colored, your kind of gray, whichever variation of that you're operating in, it's all a bit monochromatic. And that's pretty dreary. We've had loads of really colorful games. Think, I know it's not the same as this, but think Armalite in terms of color, Delta, loads of them. They've all had color. The 64 may not have lots of color, but it has more than four. I'd go back to um, Light Force. And Light Force, yeah, just, you know, you can put shades of color in this. And this just, you know, it's a bit absent. But anyway, so things move okay. Controls, like I said, responsive. If you lose energy and you will lose energy, you'll lose a life eventually. And you'll always restart from the beginning of a level, which is both tiresome, needless, and stupid. (laughs) Games at this point in time should not have that as a mechanic. We should have got past that long ago. If you think back to, if you're playing um, even Forgotten Worlds in this very episode, you get a continue. Mm -hmm. So to not have that is a throwback to something really stupid. And I think it's safe to say we've established the need for continuity in games. To not have it, I'm sorry, but you're adding a difficulty spike for no reason at all. It's unnecessary. And it's unpleasant. So there seems to be little logic to this game, really. You just kind of, you can even just, in, when I was playing the game, I, just, I needed to just sort of write some notes down. So I just parked my spaceship for a while. Nothing was <laughs> shooting at me because I was out of the arc of their shooting because it's so brainless and mindless that the enemies and the AI, of such as they are, aren't AI. They just fire in a direction. And if you happen to be in the way of those things that are firing in that direction, then you're going to get blown up. If you're not, you could just sit there for hours, which is exactly what I did. Engaging the battles becomes very simple because there's nothing really much in the way of you. If, especially if you're the flying ship, as it were. There's no reason. I could never really find a reason to be the, sh- the sort of the ground-based vehicle in this because it felt like once I was the, the flying ship, I kind of had all the power I needed, which is kind of odd. And I, and I think in Top the... down silkworm. Yeah, and in the Amiga... And the Amiga and ST versions, the balance is better for those things. You have a need to be those kind of vehicles because there's ground-based things that you can't shoot and they shoot at you, so you've got to get them. So that idea of switching between the two doesn't work here, so you're better off just being one. There are sound effects, and I suppose they're nothing fancy, and the music in the game is a kind of fairly short loop. I suppose it's passable, but it gets annoying over time. The problem with this, in all fairness, is that it's on the on the no, aside from the graphics being dreary and colourless, which is a bit unforgivable, even on a machine with the limited palette of the C64, the game lacks panache. Um, it lacks the panache, especially of the 16-bit versions. The 16-bit version of Xenon is what led the Bitmap Brothers to start making much more heavyweight games on the 16-bit platforms. And you can tell that the 16-bit platforms and beyond was where their heart was. So mm-hmm. this wasn't converted by them. This is kind of a demaker that boils the core concept down. But it does that in such a way that it loses all the parts of what made the 16-bit version interesting. Now, we've seen this happen before with arcade conversions. It's unusual for it to be a 16-bit Amiga. Well, not unusual, but it's unusual that something as straightforward as a top-down shooter on the C64 would get this kind of colorless, drab remake treatment. You need the graphics and sounds and sampled speech and animations and the 16-bit styling for this to work because that's what makes Xenon Xenon on 16-bit. The C64 version is a functional shoot-em-up 
which is kind of a crime. If that's the best you can say about shoots him up, something very wrong in the world. He has no heart. Where's the heart? Give me your mm-hmm. heart. There's no heart in this. Um, and it doesn't come across as very exciting at all. In fact, it isn't exciting. It's very dreary, very pedestrian, very monochrome. Um, the graphics are dreary. There is a blocky mass. There's no interest in making this playable or worthwhile. It's a conversion that somebody did with no love for the game at all. It's just, you know, do that conversion for us. All right, they did it. But this is so far from Xenon and the later games that would come from the Bitmap Brothers that it's almost silly to even include it in the canon of their games. But it has the name Xenon and the Bitmap Brothers were involved. It got 70%. I think they were being very kind to the Bitmap Brothers. Um, I think they were also leaning heavily on the thoughts of their Amiga and ST versions and what they've played. Mm, This is a 40% or less all the way. There's better shoot ups out there, even by this standard, and, and it's full price too. So it's a shame because the Amiga and all the other versions, 16-bit versions, but if you're going to play a version of Xenon, and I would suggest you wait till Xenon 2, but if you're going to play this, play the 16-bit Amiga version or the ST version. Don't don't play this one because it's rubbish, um, which is a shame. And I hate to say it because the Bitmap Brothers are some of my most favorite game designers on the Amiga, but it is what it is. Um, and I didn't really like this at all. What about you? Nah, I was, I don't know. I mean, I was willing to give this the benefit of the doubt at first because it's just, it's a very row. And like you said, once you press space bar, you're never going to press it again, are you? No. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, until I got to the first level boss and it changed me back to the tank or whatever that thing is on the floor. And then I died and it sent me all the way back to the beginning of the level. Just, yep. no. I was like, nope, nope, nope. It, it's, um, it's a game that is disrespectful of your time. Yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely true. And these things, these things piss me off. It's like the one we saw the other week. The what was it? ISS, Incredible yes. Shrinking Sphere. Any any game that where you're making progress, you're making progress, and you've been playing for quite a while or something like that. Even if it's like a, a minute or two that it yeah. does it, have it, and then just send you all the way back. It's just no. I just I because I don't want to repeat that. It just. You could have just respawned me in the boss section. The boss could have been taking the damage that it had taken, and then I killed it and moved on. Your player would have been way more happier. But no, you spawned them back at the beginning, and I'm not having that. So I was, yeah, I was not that into it from the get go. I mean, whatever. But because, like I said, like Silkworm, playing as the flying craft was far more enjoyable than the tank, and you just wouldn't go back to it. So I don't see the point of the two craft. Maybe on the Amiga, as you say, it's it's there's a reason for that. I don't know. I thought the game looked like a suit game, if I'm perfectly yeah, honest. Yeah. Um, and when I was actually searching for this in our big database of games that we've got, I actually found a suit variant of this. I didn't play it fully. Huh. I'm going to have a quick look at it. But somebody has actually made a suit variant of this because he started off as a tank. I was like, this is a suit game. This is not the original. And I played the original. I went, oh, that suit one's not too far off. And the music, it's, it's not pumping enough for this kind of game. It's not no. pump it, baby, pump it. It's not. I think of <laughs> Xenon, and I think of obviously Xenon 2. It is Xenon 2, yeah. isn't it? Mega Blast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what's the what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear Xenon or Xenon 2? You think of those games. The first thing that comes to your mind is that piece of music. That music yeah, from the Amiga absolutely. version, which we used to listen to just because it was Ace. So now this is really dreary, dull, and, and like I said, just disrespectful. I, I, I may have had some leeway with this, but I'm not, going, I'm not doing entire levels again when I die. And a shoot-up, no, just don't. I don't want to... No, 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 for me. Put I just was, I turned it off. I just stopped. I went, I'm not playing it anymore. I don't care. You may have the best levels, to, but I don't think you're gonna have the best levels ever because the the graphics were muddy and bit, you know. And it also as well, a lot of the bullets. Like we, I said this with Tomcat as well because Tomcat has a lot of grey. The bullets would sometimes get lost in the in the melange of grey backgrounds and the blue and it's grid. I don't understand the backgrounds. It's just a blue grid. It's boring. Nah, it's not for me. The seventy percent is way too kind. This is like a forty fifty. It's just just a bit dull. 
It's not even two player, is it? Is it two player? I don't um, think it is, is it? I didn't I don't think it is, no. I don't think it is. So it's not like even like Swiv where you can play with two people or Silkworm where you can play with two people. It's no. just you either the tank or the thing. You've you one or the other, then No, it's not two player in that way, I don't think at all. Nah, which is would have added maybe something, but no, 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 no. Zenon. Zen off, as I'm concerned. There we go. That's Zenon. That's uh, the first one for this part. Let's move along and get into our next one. And that one, Graham, is Rockstar Ate My Hamster. Yes, mm. a Rockstar Ate My Hamster. This is from Codemasters. And for the full price of, like Xenon, 9 999 pence, this is Rockstar Ate My Hamster. Um, if you don't get the reference for the title, and if you're not from the UK, you probably don't. Not, this yeah. this references a headline in the Sun newspaper. I don't like talking about the Sun, but this is what it is. From the 13th of March, 1986, which read, Freddie Starr ate my hamster. Now, that was a real headline on a national newspaper. Freddie Starr was. was a controversial comedian who supposedly came back from a gig, demanded a sandwich from... He was staying at someone's house and he demanded a sandwich from their wife. They didn't make it, so when it wasn't done, supposedly he put a hamster between two slices of bread and proceeded to eat it. Starr, who was a vegetarian from his teenage years... <laughs> denied this okay it didn't happen i mean clearly it didn't happen it's a stupid story but it ever was it became one of the most famous sort of country you know headlines ever in british newspaper because it's stupid the story stuck anyway there you go that's where the rock star ate my hamster <laughs> um thing comes from um so the manager Crazy. here um in the credits the manager here was colin jones and richard darling the coding was by colin jones uh the graphics of this were by chris graham and the musician was gavin rayburn gavin rayburn doing the music here so when the game starts does i mean the story of this is you're you are essentially going to try and manage a band and make them popular that's it there's not much that's just the story to this when the game yeah. starts you're asked how many rock stars you want to manage you can manage from one to four and you're asked this by your assistant, Cecil. Um, and Cecil is your guide throughout the game, always asking what you want to do next and sorting some stuff out for you and things like that. If you pick more than one, then they form a band. Uh, and you have 50. There are 50 pop star caricatures to choose from. And I'm going to go through them all here. So, because <laughs> I'm gonna. So you've got Wacko Jacko, Tina Turnoff, Elvin Dwight, which is Elton John, mm-hmm. Bimbo Baggins, which is Kylie. You've got Iggy mm-hmm. Carrust, Bowie, Dorothy, the one that made me laugh the most, Bill Collins, because the picture of <laughs> Phil Collins just did actually make me laugh quite a lot. The caricature <laughs> of him. I really probably shouldn't, but it just it looked like Phil Collins, like he'd just eaten a lot of pies. And it just it was just Bill Collins and made me laugh. Maradona, Lummy, said Lemmy, Scratch and Sniffer, which was weird, that's salt and pepper, I think. Sydney Sparkle, which is Gary Glitter. Mints, Prince, Rick Gasly, Dick Knackered which is Mick Jagger, Gracie Chapperson, Eddie Quicksilver, Freddie Mercury, uh, Jean-Michel, Jean-Michael Jars, Kate Bushed, Snoozy Sue, Peter Gobsmacked, Frank Zipper, Rotten Johnny, Bonehead, which is Bono, Rupert Beetle, which is a weird one for McCartney, Meathead, Annie Smallpox, Brian Nylon, which is Brian Ferry, Sneezy Wonderful, um, I can't remember who that was, Dingo Strap, Sardo, which is Sade, Freddie Grunt, Derek Claptout, that one made me laugh as well. Bruce Stringbean, Stiff Pilchards, Alison Nightmare, Crispy Rind, Michael Gorge, Izzy Asbeen, Whitless Houston, Titchy Blackhead, String, Harry Newman, Rodney Holder, Ted Newsagent. That one made me chuckle as well. Um, <laughs> Midge Sewer, Dozy Trowel, Harvey Headband, Cod, which is Fish, Harley Watts, and finally Jane Jett. There you go. All right. And there's a character. There's a caricature for each one of those, so you, know, you get yeah, one. It yeah. takes a while to actually pick them, but you go through and you pick what you want. Each one has a weekly wage, and these range from thirty thousand pound for Bill Collins to fifty quid for Sydney Sparkle. You start off with fifty k, so you need to choose wisely whether you want a band of low cost rock stars or one mega star. Once you've done that, if you've got a band and you can accept 
you can accept the suggested name or you can type in your own. So I had the Bobbies with Kylie, Morrissey, Lemmy and Rick Astley. That's what I, I had. That was a good lineup. Um, mm-hmm. After that, you can buy them gear from new to barely used to crap. And then you get to the main set of options. So before that, the screen here is laid out with you as the manager and Cecil sat behind a desk in the middle of the screen. At the top is a big speech bubble where either you, or sorry, either your or Cecil's text will appear. And when you're saying stuff, the options appear in a window in the middle of the screen. And at the bottom, you have four empty slots for gold discs, the amount of cash you have left, the date, so it starts on 1st of January, and the sales data for, for when you start to release records. You lose the game if all your band members leave, which I had in the first game, because I just had the first time I tried it, I just had Jane Jett, and she immediately asked for a £60,000 for a facelift, or she would leave, and I only had £30,000 left, so that was an immediate game over. So that was a bit... I thought it was a bit harsh. So yeah, all your band members leave, or if you run out of money, or you don't get the four gold records by the end of the year. So you've got one year to play through. The options in the middle are practice. When it starts off, you've got four options. These are practice, gig, publicity, and gifts. Practice allows uh, the band to get better, and you can choose to do this from one to five days. You can send them off to uh, practice somewhere, um, and that costs you money, obviously. The second option is gig. Everything costs money. The second option is gig, and this this allows you to play pubs, clubs, university, concert halls, or stadiums. Each one costs more than the last. The last three, but can hold more people, and you can charge more money for tickets, but be careful not to charge too much, and no one will turn up. Uh, And you can also play for two to seven nights. But again, each night costs money, so you need to make sure you're going to make your money back each night. If no one's come in, no point putting a tour on. You can lose money quite quickly when the tour starts. The view changes to a screen of a tour bus, but it looks like a school bus, um, and your mini pop stars are in the back, like like I said, like a school bus, just the tops of their heads sort of poking over the seats. It's odd, but kind of amusing. It's the print. It's all right. It's not bad. Up next is publicity, and this gives a random event that can boost or weaken the popularity of the band. It can even kill them off, which happened to me. And it is present. This is presented as the front page. This popularity is presented as the front page of the Stun newspaper, and it usually has some headlines around it as well, which are very much of the time. And it will sometimes even feature a page three girl. So the digitized boobs really do date this badly. Like, uh, okay, whatever. Yeah. So I. Well, on my first popularity stunt, Kylie was killed uh, in an orgy, which was weird. weird. So I was down to three members, just uh, Morrissey, Lemmy, and Rick Astley. So the Bobbies were just down to, there was just the three Bobbies then. Next, you can buy your band some gifts from £1 comics all the way up to £20,000 cars. After playing some gigs, you'll get offered a record deal and you can accept this or not. Accept it because well, basically you'll get an offer, kind of like a Dragon's Den thing, say, well, we'll, we want to sign you for £20,000, but we take 10% of the any sales. It's like, okay, well, we'll see. And you can accept it or not. If you accept it, you get another option now to record and you can then choose the size of the studio you want from a simple two track for £2,000 up to a 48 track for £50,000. Obviously, the more you spend, the better the quality of the record and so on and so forth, I think. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but that's what you kind of expect to be happening. When you do this, you'll then get some music snippets as the album is recorded and you can accept the names of the songs suggested or name them all yourself. I think there's 10 tracks. Each track takes a day or two to record. Sometimes things will go wrong um, and the recordings will be lost and you have to then take longer. So there can be these random events that sort of bugger things up. Once Once the tracks are recorded, you can then choose to release either the album or a single. If you release a single, you can make a video for it. And then once again, you've got to factor in the cost of a director, where you're going to film it, uh, what type of video you're going to make, and all that kind of thing. 
You can also release the album. And once again, you get to name that album, whatever you want. And that's kind of it. So all things progress the calendar. Every day you do something. If you if they're practicing, it takes days. And it's the, the months sort of roll on and roll forward. Every Friday, um, you need to pay the combined wages of the band. Um, and once you've released something on the Sundays, you get a rundown of the charts, sort of counting down from 10 to 1 for singles and 10 to 1 for albums. And really, that's about it. From this point on, you can release more singles, you can do more gigs, you can pay wages and that sort of thing. And you can see if they get into the charts and you can get more publicity and you can record stuff and so on and so on and so forth. And you're trying to earn money, you send out on gigs and blah, blah, blah. But it just becomes very tedious very quickly. The graphics in the game, they're very Spectrum-esque with sort of high-res sort of drawn outlines and block character graphics to sort of fill them in that don't go to the edge. And it looks a, a bit amateurish, I have to say. I, I didn't really like the look of this a, a great deal. The tunes for the music, you'd expect a sort of game based around rock, you know, rock stars and good music. They're very brief. They sound very much, I thought it was David Whitaker at first because mm-hmm. they sound very Whitaker-esque. Yeah, but they're not, yeah, yeah. They're, and they're not, they're not great, but but there's there's not a memorable tune amongst them. When I was listening to it, I was just like, ah, I'm not, none of these are striking as a good tune. Quite a lot of the band names and the songs in the charts are dated very badly, you know, and it's it's really just another product of the time that has just not aged well at all from the sort of pastry, topless girls on the stunned newspaper to the titles of the albums, to the titles of the songs. Uh, so, yeah, and there's the boring gameplay because there's not really that much to do, and I don't actually think there's much AI going on behind it. I think it's all just randomly generated. I think it's just a bit of nonsense. If you couple all this with the bitty visuals, the bland tunes, like I said, the boring gameplay, then the most interesting thing about this game is the title itself, I guess, Rockstar Ate My Hamster, and even that's not interesting anymore because it's all nonsense, but I didn't really enjoy this. I played this for quite a while, but I was like, you just go in, once you've set everything up, you get to about February, March, you're just like, yeah, well... I'll go on another gig. I'll release another single. Mm. Well, is there anything else to do? And you get bored very quickly. So there's a there's a very a very obvious clear lack of depth to this beyond the first month or two. And I very doubt you're very gonna ever gonna last a year at this because it just gets really boring really quickly. That was my take on this. What did he get? Fifty percent? Mm. Maybe. I don't know. Probably too high, but especially for a tenor. What did you think? See, it's different, but it's it's not very good. Yes, I had the same issue with it, really. I mean, there's probably some fun to be had because you can name your own bands, name your own songs, name your own albums. That did appeal to me a little bit because, you know, I had a bit of fun doing that. But it gets very repetitive very quickly. It's so procedural, it's point to the point of annoying. So if you record an album, every single track needs to be named. You've got to press a button. You've got to go in and do it. And it's just really ploddy and methodical. I had some silly moments in it and maybe it would pass some time. One of my key problems with this was that it needed real music in it. Um, yeah, that would have just helped. Yeah, yeah, because because it's a game fundamentally about gigs, music bands, and stuff. And I get that, but just having ten second dirges of sounds, just put some. You, know, you could even have had sound that got better, so that by the time that the bands got better, they were playing kind of you know half decent Sid tunes or something. That would have just elevated it a bit because it's more than capable of doing that. There's not a lot going on in terms of graphics and stuff like that here either. No. I had a band called Calibos on the Jets. They did pretty well for themselves. They ended up playing <laughs> stadiums and stuff. They were pretty good. It was a combination of Tina Turner, whatever she was called, and Callie Minogue, whatever she was called. So, And I get all that. I still think it would have been better that you could have just not necessarily picked from famous stars and just could have just been anybody's. And yeah. That would have probably given it a bit more legs as well. So you could just you know create your own band look and feel. Those things would have been easy to do. Even if you just had a selection screen where you just had a face, you chose a face, then you chose a wig or a hair, then you chose a kind of a look. Those things would have been easy to add and would have made this game a lot better because mm-hmm. um, then you'd have personalized the band to the point when you had a bit more buy-in. Because you're essentially just forming cover bands out of crazy 
stereotypical but silly versions of other band names, the silliness of these games wears off pretty quick. And so there's not a lot to go at. It just fell slow and eventually, you know, you're going to get tired of the fact that it's not got decent music in it. And yeah, it's your band name and you're releasing funny singles. That's not going to last long. It's certainly not going to last for 10 quid. So... 50%, 50%, I don't know, maybe. It clearly had spectrum leanings as well because of the way the yeah, high-res so. graphics, they're not terrible, but at the same time, there's not much to it. It passed some time, but for 10 quid, I want my time to pass with a bit more flair and a bit more fun. Mm. This felt a bit dull overall, so no. The game you're describing, and you pro- we, we both played it, and I, I played it probably a lot more than you did, but I know you played it as well, is Rock Band. Rock Band down the line, Rock Band 3, where you create yeah. your own but you create your own band, you play the instruments, you go out on tour, you do all those yeah. things. Yeah. This, yeah. You know, the, the interesting bit there is you're the band rather than the manager. So, but yeah, yeah. I mean, so I can see like the inkling of that here, but you're obviously you're never going to get that on the C64, but no. way down the line when you get things like Rock Band, Guitar Hero and all those kind of things. And well, the crazy thing the is there is a version of Rock Band that you can play on the C64. Is there? Somebody did, yep, somebody did make that. It's not the whole game, but just the runway parts. The, the, is it the, like the six versions of songs with the pressing the buttons? Or yeah, you have to two. press the button and move your joystick to do the things. It's pretty cool. That is cool. I might check that, that out. That is actually. out there. And I will also say that some of the graphics in this are fun. Images of people like Robert Maxwell and stuff like that, which is clearly what it is, not so much. Oh, is that who the manager is, Robert Maxwell? Yeah, the, well, not so much the manager, but the guy with the big cigar and stuff like that. It's very. I didn't, I didn't twig to that. I didn't get They're that. all kind of looking like, you know, it's of its time, and I get that, but I'm just like, eh, bit naff. But okay. Yeah. Modern lens being what it is and all like that. But okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not much game to back it up, was there? Not no, really. No. Not really. There we go. That's uh, Rockstar Ate My Hamster. We've still got one more to go. So uh, let's move along and get on with that one. Graham, well, this is, a, this is a really weird one. It's time for you to be the muncher. Yeah. All right. So this is published by Gremlin Graphics. It was copyright Beam software. Beam have done a whole slew of games, which are weird. Mm. So, I mean, this is a game based on a character in an advert for a chewy sweet. No, you know, is this the most tenuous game idea we've had for some time? I think it might be, you know. <laughs> it might be. It's a game based on an advert based, which is selling sweets, you know, chewy sweets, chewits, in fact. And now it says on the ad, on the title screen for this, Chew, it's 10p. I'm like, goodness, it's showing its age there. <laughs> Blimey, this was way back when Mars bars were 25p or 30p. Now they're 80 to 90p. So it shows you how things have moved on. There is some original instructions with a little bit of blurb. I'll go through that because it just sets the tone, really. But it says, it actually says the Moocher, which has made me laugh, but it's the Muncher. It's a game of destruction and devastation. The player controls a large and angry prehistoric monster who is out to destroy Japan. I didn't totally get Japan from this, but okay. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Why should a normally peace-loving creature wish to inflict such havoc? Well, it seems that some Japanese explorers have unearthed and stolen some eggs and have brought them back to Japan. For centuries, they, like everyone else, have thought about uh, your species to be long extinct. They are wrong. As the game begins, you arrive at the coast of Japan in search of the lost eggs which have been scattered around the cities of this island country. Naturally, the armed forces are out in force and you must battle your way through the cities and armed army bases, carrying out your plan of urban redevelopment. Hmm. In the course of your journey, you will come across your lost eggs. Once they have been found, you should search for a nuclear waste dump. Not only are those nuclear waste sites very tasty and invigorating, but they also have good sites for hatching monster eggs. Using these sites, you should be able to create more monsters to carry on should you fail. As Japan is such a small place... And with all this monster activity in the surrounding sea, it is not surprising that you will occasionally encounter other monsters during your exploits. 
like your monster, they tend to have a rather intense need to express their deeper emotions by means of violence and destruction. If you must, defeat all three enemy monsters. Finally, you or one of your descendants will reach the harbour and will sail off into the sunset, well, almost, and like the endless cycles of life, it will all begin anew. That's just the blurb. All right. So the title screen is a basic thing. Um, <laughs> the basic? That's overselling it. I mean, you get the loading screen, which is kind of a, a scanned image from the advert, which is a dinosaur creature. Yeah. yeah. Big gremlin logo. The muncher eats, chew it. Um, it's clear who this is sponsored by. Um, but okay, it <laughs> yeah. is what it is. But the title screen, um, I'm not sure. It's a tricolored block with the word monster in the center, <laughs> but it's it off right center now. as well. It's, it's <laughs> honestly, it's like it's it's like an afterthought. Um, it says F1 is stage one, F3 one player, F5 joystick keyboard, F7 style. It's like a 1983 Spectrum game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm half expected to say Kempston joystick and uh, you know, press the button for that. And then there's some text. The game itself, well, a large Tyrannosaurus Rex type character, which is you, the, you know, the monster. And it's a big and blocky old thing, this, but it looks kind of what it's meant to be. So, okay, I'll go with yeah. that. Plods across the screen, controlled by you with a joystick. You move left and right across a horribly blocky and badly realized landscape of blocks in the shape of buildings and green splats that are probably trees. Okay. When there's the kind of a, a I could, I guess you'd call it a ground, yellow stripy ground or yellow ground. And underneath that, there is a UI of sorts, which has got this really weirdly smiley version of your dinosaur face, which is really odd. It tells you what score you've got, how many hits or energy you've got left, your top score. And of course, it tells you where you're at at the moment, because obviously with the 16 levels, you've got 16 places to be. As you walk to the right, the screen will eventually scroll to reveal more buildings but it's when you're at the far right of the screen um so it's a bit silly to do it there um, and it kind of affects the way the game works as well so it's a bit naff that also helicopters will fly around and shoot at you and also people walk along the bottom of the screen some of them are military and will also shoot at you and you can grab these and eat them if you wish there are also, also military vehicles you can also reach and there's different moves with your dinosaur as well with a joystick so whilst you're on the ground and without fire press, you can move left and right. You can press down to duck and then you can do sort of jump left, jump up and right and jump up. And if you hold the fire button down, you can bite firing objects. If you push up, you can lash your tail. You can do a raw slight breath and you can grab and eat. And you can also jump and glam- clamber onto buildings similar to the game with the three dinosaur creatures. What's it called? Rampage. Rampage, similar to Rampage. So, so you can sort of jump, climb up the buildings, punch and do that kind of thing. And again... If you're on the building without fire, you can climb up, punch up, punch forward. With fire pressed when you're on a building, you can bite objects, you can punch backwards, you can do another breath, and you can kick the building as well. And so, okay, there's actually quite a lot of controls there, which is, and they don't work terribly well, um, but they don't work terribly badly either. They kind of almost operate. And I'll come a little bit to more of that anyway. So the military are going to shoot at you. These, like I said, these vehicles, you, when you grab at them and do what you do and shoot them or fight, breathe at them, they'll blow up. You can grab people and eat them with a, quite a satisfying sort of scream sound, which is quite fun. And you can walk along and shoot fireballs at the buildings and you can destroy the buildings. And eventually, if you destroy enough of the building, it'll fall down in a similar way to Rampage does. The graphics are pretty basic, but they kind of function. The main dinosaur is actually a really huge sprite, in all fairness, taking up a fair chunk of the old screen. It also moves okay surprisingly okay it's a bit picky to mm-hmm. try and climb the buildings because you've got, got to jump and sort of grab but it kind of works and the buildings and the scrolling the sad thing is it happens only when you're at the very edge of the screen which is really silly because that would have been really good to not do that but yeah. it still kind of means you can kind of move along so you walk 
you jump, you grab, you smash. While not wholly new or inventive, there is a kind of passing fun to be had with this. And I'm not quite sure really why. It's certainly an odd license at best, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I found myself kind of playing it and having some basic kind of fun with it. I mean, it's nothing really fancy, but there's a large sprite there. And the idea of running around and eating people is not without appeal. And you can do that and it's kind of satisfying and you can kind of blow the buildings up and they're kind of basic in a very basic way, but they do blow up. And, you know, there's big stompy sounds and it's it's a little bit more than I expected from this, but it's certainly, if a little bit more thought had been put into how it played, I think this could have been a really decent title in a kind of that kind of monster kind of game idea that we played. And we played an Epic's one that was kind of Monsters in the City, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, we did. I can't remember what it was called though. But as is the usual way, the game is kept to a relative, you know, sort of the game design and everything, it's kept a relative minimum effort in terms of look and feel and design. So you end up just walking and smashing and eating and so on and so on. Okay, and then maybe that's all there is. The music here is not very good. The sounds are better with some kind of half-decent smash sounds, that really funny sort of squeak when you grab people, which still made me laugh every time I did it. And on the whole, it's a game that lacks a professional polish of almost every kind. And this should have been a budget game because of that, really. This has got budget game written all over it. and, And had it been a budget game, I'd have given it a lot more kudos at full price. For a game based on a 10p pack of sweets, which it clearly shows you at the start, I don't know if that's a bit of a slap. You could have bought a lot of chewits for the amount you'd have paid for <laughs> this game, in all of fairness. And it's a multi-load as well. At least it seems to be a multi-load in the version we had. I'm guessing it's a multi-load. But I don't know. There's something weirdly enjoyable about this game. There's a germ of an idea in there that kind of almost works in a similar way to we've seen Beam Software do with other titles. It's not quite fully fleshed out. It's not quite there. The graphics aren't quite realized well. The sound's kind of half in. The gameplay logic is kind of almost there, but there's enough of it for you to walk, stomp, smash, grab, and just mindlessly just eat people. And it, the only killer really for that is that $9.99, it's a lot of money to pay for doing that. But I don't know, if you kind of go with it, there's kind of weird fun to be had with Muncher. It's really stupid, I know, but I just find myself wandering along, smashing stuff in. It's quite tricky in places. You're just getting along, keeping on going onto the city. There's quite a lot to go at as well. And just once I'd got into the controls, jumping on buildings, eating people, gaining more health, losing a bit healthier, it's really mindless. It's really dumb, but it's kind of, it It knows that. I think it's safe to say that it, it's not, it's, this is no one's gone into town to try and write a 60 page manual for this. It's dumb, <laughs> stupid, idiotic fun and not even produced very well. Does it deserve 71%? No. If it was $2.99 or $1.99, it probably would have. So it's down in the lower you know, price bracket, really. And that would have given it the, cheapness that it would have perhaps connoted but i can't I couldn't help but finding myself just finding it kind of entertaining i don't know why maybe it says something about me maybe i was exhausted at the end of the day but i actually found myself quite liking it in its own kind of crazy stupid way what about you yeah i think i'm pretty much in agreement it's a strange the old thing the weird old thing this is <laughs> yeah. not what i was expecting i'll come to what i was expecting but and, and i do wonder who outside of the uk would chew it's outside of the uk did, did other countries have chew it i don't think so i don't know that seemed very a very British thing. I don't know. Maybe they were. Maybe uh, maybe they. Everyone knows. Never knows Chewits. I don't know. Obviously, I don't know the UK, but it just seemed a very UK chewy sweet. Oh, the advert um, certainly felt like it. Maybe, but yeah, who knows? Anyway, it, this is an odd scrolling version of Rampage, where, as you say, you play a, a pretty well realized and large T Rex style monster. Now, Beam do this sort of thing because it, it, it they did um, Street Hustle, didn't they? Yeah, I was going to say Street Hustle was a similar kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and Beam did. Fist 2 and 
and all those yeah. kind of things. You sagger your Jimbo. So those kind of scrolling things, they kind of do that. And but but this certainly put me in the in the in the mold of Street Hustle with those big chunky sprites. Yeah, yeah, and, totally. And stuff. Um, the Carl Trolls, they said they're a little slow. The background graphics are a bit patchy, but like you, I quite enjoyed picking up people and eating <laughs> yeah. them and smashing yeah. helicopters and jumping on tanks. Yeah. There was a there was a you know a, a cathartic feeling of enjoyment here that was just like yep. I'm just a massive monster. Uh, monster yep. movie game, by the way, was the epic one. I was less a fan, as you noted, of the scrolling, which needs you to be so close to the board before it kicks in. Why do so many games do that? Uh, moan no, about it all the time silly. keep you central it's not yeah. brilliant this but it's not terrible and i, I was i was expecting because i didn't look for look what it's going to be i was expecting uh, expecting a knockoff pac-man yeah with a name like muncher yeah totally so yeah. i was thinking because there's loads of early pac-man derivatives called muncher or munchman and things like that so i was expecting yeah, yeah, that yeah. so the muncher is a really weird name for this why is because that's not the name of the Chewitt's dinosaur or maybe it, just, it is or maybe it is yeah i don't know but got to play the Chewitt's monster for a while so you know passable a bit bland but i did like the main sprite i did like jumping knocking down buildings it's a bit weird how the buildings fell down like crates like just knock a bit out and then just a chunk 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 like yeah. you'd knock layers out but i climbing on buildings and smacking stuff and there's some nice animation at times and it's not terribly slow i thought it's all right how simplistic yeah. was that title screen though that title screen's weird it's i'm it's not weird. even sure was this ever released <laughs> I don't. Was it? Not, it was it been, finished? It was in Zap. So was it? Was it? I don't know about it being finished, but with a with a license that attached to it, maybe. I mean, Gremlin must have hoid the license in from somewhere. Goodness knows how. But. God knows how. Because the, the loading screen's really good, digitized, digitized or not, but it's a really good loading yep. screen. And then you get yep. that title screen. It's like you've not even centered it in three blocks of color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, I think they were hoping that people just press the fire button, just skip past that. It doesn't matter. It's like I'm looking at it now, and I'm like, what? Are we? <laughs> It's blue, green, pink, and the green bit's not. Oh, lord! It's it's as basic as it gets. But you know what? <laughs> they had no more room for graphics or something. And like he says, it says monster. <laughs> no, That's why weird. I don't think it's finished or released or anything. I don't because mm. I'm not aware of this, and I've never heard no. anyone mention it. So I don't know. No. This is a it's a weird one. It, mm. According to um, uh, Moby Games, this was also known as T Rex, spelled W R E C K S, mm. and the okay. Muncher eats Chewit, but mm, not okay. monster. <laughs> not monster <laughs> it's just weird it's just weird that somebody did that it is weird but it's not without its fun it's not without no, its bit of enjoyability that's the thing it's one of those stupid games and we've had a few of them over the time of this podcast where it's just like you know what if you just <laughs> just let go you've you got to let go a little bit if you just go with the fact that you're a massive chew it eating monster yeah, eating and and the scale is pretty Tokyo impressive up. in this. That dinosaur's a massive old sprite. It's not badly designed. It's not terrible. Yeah. It's not blocky. It's kind of rounded. It's it's just, it's huge, really. And you're jumping and, and, about, no problem. And, and despite the fact that the people are little and things like that, they're quite well animated as well when they stop and shoot yeah. at you and run it, running around and stuff. And like I said, picking them up and eating them, never get old, jumping at stuff. It's just, it made me laugh, that little scream they make. Ah! It's, it's <laughs> just stupid stuff like that. I was like, and you know what? Because the advert was like that, wasn't it? Yes, very much so. In the advert for Chewitz, he climbs over whatever it was. In, I think he's in London, I think, and he grabs somebody and he eats them and you know and stuff like that. And it's obviously leaning into yeah. the whole Godzilla type notion, but it's it's good. Was the um, just on the sort of concept because I always thought the uh, the advert, the fake advert, maybe Chewitz were known elsewhere because the advert in RoboCop, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the car yeah. one where you got the, you have the dinosaur, don't you? Stomping yeah, the six thousand SUX, yeah, yeah, it's like, with his eyes, yeah, yeah. 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 I wonder if that. I always wondered if that was a Chewitz pastiche, though. 
maybe or they were it's probably a pastiche on robocop maybe because i think that would have come earlier than that but well maybe i don't know anyway there you go there's the muncher it's not a pac-man ripoff it is a very strange chew its based game where you <laughs> yeah, eat weird. people as a giant just don't expect a lot from that like title screen because there's, there's not much there <laughs> oh no. when that first boot i was like is this crashed yeah i mean that's that's just text on a screen with some with some character you know characters space <laughs> actually inverted space graphics as well to give color blocks it's like just, wow just a demo weird. it ain't <laughs> <laughs> it's a demo of what not to do but the weird thing is it's like they've designed their own font yeah they've gone to the effort of that but i think they probably left that to last probably Anyway, there we go. That's it. That's your last game for this week. We've looked at six games. We've looked at... What have we actually looked at this week? We looked at Forgotten Worlds. Controllingly disappointing. I've already forgotten about it. Yeah, Las Vegas Casino, which... Not in Las Vegas. No, Power Assault Course, which is... Which waggle. Waggle kicks Same thing over and over again. (laughs) Yeah. Xenon. Go to the 16-bit version and just don't pretend the 8-bit one doesn't exist. Yeah, Rockstar Ate My Hamster... A bit dated yeah. now, not really worth dated time of day. Yeah. And finally, the the oddness of the muncher, which is probably the pick of the week. <laughs> That's crazy that the muncher is the pick of the week on top of Forgotten Worlds. <laughs> I had more fun with Hilarious. the muncher than I did with Love Forgotten Worlds. But yeah, I did because I didn't. Every time I turned right, I didn't rotate, so that was always good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, there we go. Uh, we'll wrap up June next week. There's only twelve games this month. We've got another six coming next week. Those games are Speedball. So we're looking Ooh, at the, the, we'll the look cover at game. Brothers one. Then we've got Titan, which was the crap, we vert, we crap vert we looked at. Yeah, uh, we've got the real Ghostbusters. That doesn't yeah. look bad, but we'll see. We'll see. Octoplex, no idea. Um, Danger Freak, um, uh, and finally the uh, I think it looks a bit bad to tailly this Hillsfar. Uh, right oh, to your street, that one. Uh, probably. We'll see. We'll see how it turns out. That's it. That's your week. Well, gonna have some chewits. I really want some chewits now. You can't get them anymore. They don't make them anymore, do they? No. So if you did find some, they'd be well out of date. No, exactly. You know, I only discovered the other day that red bounties have stopped being made. They don't no. make them anymore. Yep, Can you done. actually still get a biscuit Yorkies? I don't believe so, although I've not seen any. Uh, but <sighs> they were the best. Mean biscuit they Yorkies but, were but, the best. Red bounties definitely withdrawn. They no longer exist. They're done. No dark bounties. They were the best ones. No. They were the best ones. Dark as well. Chocolate bounty, yeah. They were the best yeah, ones. But they're gone. They're out. They are no more. And yet they still make Turkish delight. It's a mystery, isn't it? That we'll never figure out. I mean, I do like Turkish delight, but not that kind of Turkish delight. <laughs> I like Turkish delight, not that kind of <laughs> Turkish delight. <laughs> no, because there's all different the kind types of delight you're talking you, about. That kind of, of different. Delight. There's lots of different types of Turkish delight. Did you know that? It's like loads of I'm different about variations. Fried of it. Turkish delight, which is not anything to do with Turkish delight. <laughs> oh, I see. That's full of Eastern promise. <laughs> It's full of summing. <laughs> there we go. I think we need to uh, wrap this podcast up uh, right. and, and let you go about the rest of your day or evening or wherever it is you're listening to it. As ever, if you want to support the podcast, you can do that. Um, you can still do it. The Patreon is still there. You can go to patreon.com forward slash zap to the past for, well, not it's not a price of beer anymore. It's not. It's nowhere near the price of a pint of beer, mostly. No, you can sort of sign definitely. up and get, come join us on the Discord, get the episodes early and all that kind of stuff. Or you could just chuck us a quid and just get our eternal thanks. That would be cool. Or you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com or ko-fi.slash to the past whatever it is, just put Kofi up to the past and it'll, you'll find us. Um, you can even buy t-shirts and I've got one mm. and it's very good quality mm. and it looks very nice. It is. It's yes. very good quality. It's exactly so, good. Yep. Yeah. So if you want to go there, zap to the past.shop and buy a t-shirt, do so if you want. Um, so I have been Adrian Mills. 
I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zap to the Past. And we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.